help it out. G'day, Thunder Lizards and Starborn. Uh, my guest just turned on the bright light that is from Dracothian Star. Uh, I am... <laughs> Uh, it is AOS Coach, and we are talking Seraphon, but a very special, specific Seraphon episode. It's not just some fancy pants, you know, updating on rules and things like that. I'm actually joined by the GW Open uh, Best General. You won Best General, right? Right. Best overall. Correct. Stupid two categories, and I'm like, I always mix up the two. But um, Dean Bills won the Best General, so he crushed it against uh, many opponents, and... Um, you took Seraphon and you took a very untraditional list. I think when I initially looked, and I'll get an introduction for you in a second, Dean, but when I saw your list, if it was traditional Seraphon, I would have just like rolled my eyes and I wouldn't have invited you to come to the podcast. No offense to Seraphon, but it's a, a cookie cutter type list, right? You look at, you know, sure. certain builds, it's tried, tested, it's been played, and you can see it on battle reports. But when I saw your list and I went, okay, this is different. There's some, um, some interesting list science in here. And given that, you know, the GW Open is like the best of the best when it comes to the GW um, Open series, the tournament series I've had for the whole year, um, and you took a very a little bit off meta list, I thought this would be an interesting conversation to think about as we're at the end of the General's Handbook, very possibly going into not only a new General's Handbook, but possibly a new Seraphon Battle Tome. Uh, not that that's been confirmed, but I think you and I can both agree that one of them is going to be Seraphon, right? uh well it's a at least a 33 percent chance um, there's three of them that's right yeah you got cities and you've got carriage on overlords which are both older than seraphon but it's entirely likely given that they're spoiling the hunters huanchi and everything else and releasing that war cry war band yeah so i, I think unless they're doing uh, and like i've been teasing people in discord i'm like are oh, they going to bring on like two more books of lumineth before they update you know ko ko and they're like no they they get a book every six months that's just the rule that's the way it's going to be well there's still still two new temples to come but hey this is not the uh <laughs> this is not the loop this is not the luminous show this is not the Tyrion and tecla show um it's the dean show so first off for anyone who isn't familiar who you, who are you where are you from um and how on earth did you get an invitation to the gw open uh, I'm Dean Bills. I uh, live in Rochester, New York. So I mostly play on the East Coast over as far as like the Midwest. My brother lives in Indiana, so I constantly will travel out there. So Chicago, Indiana, Indianapolis, any of those places I'll uh, constantly travel out to. DC for Nova is also one that's within range. Like I'll drive eight hours in pretty much any direction for a weekend tournament um, whenever I can get away from the wife, kids and all of that. Uh, I got to the the uh, invitational finals because i won chicago which happened in beginning of november end of october one of those two it happened pretty recently um, right before kansas city which also qualified for uh the invitational so gw had just for anyone who isn't familiar with the uh the tournament series um games workshop hosted a bunch of um two-day tournaments five game events um across america so what was there was kansas city chicago was it uh, Seattle? S Seattle and San Diego were the yeah, four. Were the four that I remember. Um, they also got invites from Adepticon, the Las Vegas Open, and Nova, uh, which yes. are not official GW events, but they did have invites going out from those events as well. I think there might have been one more um, to make it the full Ooh. eight. London. I think it was the London GT because you had Phil and you had um, uh, Darren Watson came right. over from the UK. So I think yeah. it was um, is those events too. 
Yeah, so that's where the eight slots for each side came from. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And um, you had won your you, you won best general, right? So I did, in order to yeah. so you won best general, somebody else from that event won best overall, and you two together went over to play in this finals event in New Mexico. Um, bring up the image just for anyone, just just some context setting, right? So um, this is the best generals bracket. So the best. Um, the, the people who won those tournaments um, in that category. So they got an invitation to this New Mexico tournament, right? And you basically played it out through the series. Yeah. And the, uh, the bracketing or the ranking that they're using here, the one through eight, they just pulled that off of uh, whatever. ITC. The, yeah. The I ITC think it was, was ITC it? rankings. Yeah. Which obviously the, the more you play, the, the higher your rank is going to be. I only had like two events in there which uh, just to give you an idea, if you don't play a lot of uh, two-day events, you're just not going to have a higher ranking. Well, it's actually, it was actually quite interesting because when you look at the um, game A matchup with Gavin versus Darren Watson, um, Darren's an incredibly great player, but because yeah. Eng England doesn't really use the ITC, they um, he actually was the lowest ranked player from that band. So Exactly, um, which is kind of what I want to say. Is like It's not really representative of player skill or anything else. They had to pick some metric, and that's the one they picked. And I don't disagree with it. It's just... You know, you have to play these. You have to play it, all these people anyway if you want to win. So it doesn't really change anything. But just to give people an idea of why it was ranked the way it was. And for anyone who maybe isn't familiar with the scene or they didn't actually follow the tournament, do you want to give people a little bit of an example of how it worked? Because you can see that there's this winners bracket, and then there's also a losers bracket, which is a a bit of a new thing to to Age of Sigma. Yeah, I think it's a, real, a new thing to wargaming, really, because if you're familiar with fighting games, um, that sort of thing, they they always use the double elimination bracket. That's what they all use. Um, so this, if you've seen a top eight for winners or a fighting game, this will be very familiar to you. But basically, um, you have two losses to give, and when you lose, you go to the losers bracket. And uh, if you go to the finals, and I had lost, I would have had to play Matthias again um because i would have a second loss to give some places do that differently where you get an advantage rather than having to replay so like we go into a final game and i'm up five points or something obviously i'm just spitballing i'm not saying that's the way it could be or should be but there are other ways to do the uh re bracket reset is what it's called when the uh the winner loses in the winner's finals or grand finals it's definitely an interesting way of doing things. It's not going to be replacing the your local games workshop or any tournament because no. um, it's not, I mean, I mean, obviously you could do it if you want fun, but it was a great way to kind of weed out the best of the best. And instead of just uh, immediately and eliminating you and, you know, you're sitting around doing nothing, you could still have a chance to play right. through and actually come to the event, which actually funnily enough was one of your last opponents. Yeah. And uh, the, Every other bracket, so there was the two brackets for 40k, there's two brackets for Sigma, and then there was a bracket for Kill Team. And every single one of those, they all got bracket reset. I was the only person who just clean ended the thing and got out on time. Undefeated champion. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so why Seraphon? What, are you a long-term Seraphon player? Did you pick it up purely for this tournament? Um, it's the only Sigmar army that I had at the time. I'm currently building, painting some Ossiarch. Um, I know they're not good, but I still want to have, I think they're going to get a, one of the death books. So I'm excited for that, to, for them to have a thing. And, uh, yeah, fingers crossed. I don't think there's anything else. It has to be them, right? But, fair, fair. Uh, well, fleshy to courts, but there's two death books. So I think they're both, but 
Yep. Stormlight Grave Lords um, is technically oh shit, a second edition book. Whew, I had a heart attack right. and froze. Um, it's technically a second edition book. So um, right, it's the end it, of second though. So I think it, it was right, just like the Seraphon book was basically. Um, yes. So Seraphon was the first army that I ever got in wargaming. Period. I got it when I was like. 10 or 12 years old or something i got the uh bretonia versus lizard man box for warhammer fantasy and that was my introduction to wargaming and then obviously i had to never play with didn't really play it anything sort of competitively and uh i've roamed around war games for a while finally made it to age of sigmar and i just bought into the lizards which i used to have and that i liked and uh, that's the army that i have what was in that um, box? You had a bunch of skinks. You had a bunch of Saurus warriors. Yep, skink Saurus warriors, and you had uh, the the slan on that really ugly plank when it was carried by the the four Saurus nut warriors or whatever. The, and he's just like leaning back with his stick in the air, like the palaquin. It was like um, yeah. If you remember the old Bretonian, is it reliquy? The it's like that's right i because i remember because that was one of my first box sets i got to play against and i remember my mate wanted to play bretonia i got to play seraphon lizardman back in the day yep. and they always used to come with these weird cardboard heroes because gw was tight and you instead of putting a dreadnought in the kit they would give you a cardboard cut out of a dreadnought right. or or the high elf um dragon rider was like a piece of cardboard um i'm like what was the hero because i think it was a griffin cardboard it was uh, the Green Knight was in that box. And I remember because he was such bullshit, he just couldn't die. So I'm just like, you're just fighting this whole game against this stupid little model that will not die. Oh and then it was a couple of a couple of squads of knights. I think that was it. I don't think there might have been archers, archers, knights, green knights. Yeah, there was there was some peasant archers. There was some peasant yeah. archers. That was that was one of my first experiences into Warhammer too. That was such a good box. The absolute. Yeah. But so you've been a long term uh, space lizard, seraphon, jungle, Aztec combo whatever you want yeah only for a year though really because like my i think my first competitive game at a tournament was in new orleans for the open last year and my like seventh game of warhammer sigmar ever was against caleb walters in new orleans last year so like i'm not really like super long term i've only been playing this game competitively for the last year and a half or so something like that yeah, cool. No, just going back to the 90s and now coming to today, it's funny how the world kind of goes full circle. Right. So what made you take, other than it being your army, like it's the only army that you own, what was your thoughts going into the GW event, right? So you've gone to, was it the same list? Like when you went from Chicago it was, to... It was a very similar list. The thing that happened between the lists is Lizardmen or Seraphon gained probably took one of the worst nerfs in that uh war battle scroll update i, w I was gonna ask you about that um so if i really wanted to play anything else if i wanted to play uh fangs of sotek or thunder lizard the both of those lists really went up about 100 points um you got 20 points on the skink priest 15 points on the astrolith bear 20 points on the slan 20 points on the engine of the gods I think it comes up to like 85, 90 points, something like that um, in nerfs. Obviously, you know, if you're playing the flies list, which Emma did play, you took a, a two flies loss or whatever. So they might have taken a worse points loss. But as far as like an army, like core linchpin unit sort of thing, like Seraphon really got hit. Um, 
my list only went up 20 points, but I was sitting at exactly 2000 in Chicago. So I had to shuffle things around. I lost to the still on whatever. Um, so that it did change what I was thinking of doing. So for this event leading up to it, they had us uh, in one week, they had us submit our factions. So our grand Alliance and our faction inside of that. And I said, I was playing Seraphon and then Tom was saying was on daughters of Cain. Gavin was on daughters of Cain. So we knew what people were playing. And given that I knew what my matchups were going to be, that really solidified the list I wanted to play. Um, because I could play thunder lizard or I could play fangs of Sotek or Dracothian's tale, whatever, but knowing who I was going into, knowing that it was Tom for my first game and knowing that Reese most recently he had played the foot daughters of Cain not the Marathi build, which is um, much more difficult for different matchups for a variety of reasons, you know? Um, but for me, like, I've, I feel very favored into that matchup with the list that I brought. So just, um, to, just, to, just to pause for a second, just to yep. bring people along, you didn't know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't know the list that the person was going to play. So when No, you... not yet. So all you knew was that, so here's, here's the draw, right? You, did you know that your first opponent was going to be Tom Guan? Yes, I knew it was Tom, and I knew he was going to be playing Daughters of Cain. I did not know the list. So at this point in time, you say to Games Workshop, I'm playing Seraphon. You know that you're up against, did you know that you're up against Tom before you told them Seraphon? Yes. Yep. Cool. So they they showed you the draw. They yep. filled in Seraphon or Daughters of Cain, and then you also knew that the winner would go up against either Caleb or Matthias. Then you would play either Gavin or Darren. So you kind of knew your pathway to success, but you didn't actually know the details and the intricacy, like the um, the battle plans. You didn't know the actual lists of what was going to happen. It was just that was your pathway. Yeah, yeah. I think they had released the battle plans as well um at that time so we knew the seven battle plans that would be possible um through there and i knew winning or losing i'd have to play one of emma or uh matt sweeney cool so you knew your path but it's not like you could develop a list that was tailored against these particular people because Correct. you could have a you could have a rough idea you could do your research and see if anyone's spoken on a podcast you could see their tournament leaning lists and you could see things like that but you never knew exactly that you, right. could ga you couldn't game it Right, exactly right. So I knew like what armies I'd be placing in my first playing in my first two games. I knew the first one was Doc, and then I knew the second one was going to be either uh, a Flies list or uh, Stormcast. I'm not too wasn't too familiar with Matt Sweeney going in, um, so that he was really kind of the wild card. I assumed some combination of art like Long Strikes and Fulminators and the standard fare. And what he brought was actually wildly different than what I had considered. So. <laughs> Like, I think his was like the most strange list that I didn't really think of, except for the Blades of Corn uh, UK player. Darren had no idea. His list is like the wildest thing to me. And it was just like, and I asked my brother because he actually plays Blades of Corn. And he's like, yeah, seems like he's just trying to game the summoning points somehow. Let his guys die, get a million summoning points, cast a horror gas, try to resist it on a six plus and whatever, and just go crazy on summoning, which I guess was his plan. So that one was a wild list. There's a couple of off-meta discussions. And I think that that's the key, right, is that you, when you go to a tournament, and this is kind of why I want to unpack this with you, Dean, is you can't game the system. You can assume what you're going to see. You're going to, you know, yep. is there going to be a cron spine? Isn't there going to be a cron spine? How would I handle a cron spine? Those top three to top five armies, there's a good chance you're going to face them. And what would I do? But what did you 
how did you think about your list? Like when you were thinking about this best of the best knockout series, your pathway to success, what were some of those list considerations? Anything that you wanted to draw from Seraphon, any tools in particular you wanted to have up your sleeve? What was going through your head? Uh, I think the first thing is that I was, before I picked my army, like I have I have availability of using other armies. I can like borrow armies from a lot of different vectors. So it's not like I was stuck into Seraphon, but it is what I'm more, most comfortable playing, of course. And so the question is like, what is uh, what did I feel was going to be the best path to victory? What was going to be best against the, a, an op pretty open field? Um, I really like Seraphon into that. The there's a big Kronzbind meta coming into this. I did just go up 80 points, but I still felt that some people were going to bring it, and they did. And the Kronzbind is pretty pretty terrible against Coalesced Seraphon. Um, one damage attacks and two damage attacks at medium rend. Like, we'll take that all day. It doesn't matter what uh, what it's doing because the Coalesce lets you reduce damage by one and the it doesn't do anything. You want to fight, the thing wants to fight, you screen it out, it's going to fight a squad of Source Knights until the end of time and that kind of sucks for it. Um, also, it's a very... I think the Slan is probably the Slan and Croak are probably the best defensive casters in the game. Um, you dispel board wide; they can't hide from you. They're not going to be able to put their caster in the corner and teleport somebody down your throat. Guaranteed, they've got to deal with your plus one, plus two dispel. So I think that Seraphon is just really good at everything. And people say it constantly; they're really good at everything. And I, that comes down to a, a lot of just like just. Plus ones to dispelling board wide is a lot of power that the army has. Um, so you're good against Kronspine, you're good against casters. So the endless spell meta with either Ravenax, Gnashing Jaws, or Purple Sun, or Horror Gast, or whatever people are trying to do, like send the boat down your throat. Obviously, that happened uh, in my Skaven games. Um, you don't, nobody gets to just do things against you unless it's invocations. Obviously, they can have those all day and they're usually pretty medium. So it's not like that big of a deal. But you have no way to get those off the board if they do get them out. Um, so that kind of sucks. But against the, the general meta, I really like Seraphon because, like I said, there's you don't have a weakness hiding anywhere. You just uh, you're very solid on all parts of the game. Um, so that's why I ended up going with them. And then the reason I went with the Coalesced is again the same. I'm going to go with Coalesced so I can be good against the uh, the Cronspine because I still. For the life of me, I can't figure out how these skink lists are winning. Um, it it blows my mind. It really does. You're putting like you're stacking a million buffs. So you can fire sixty one shots with your blowpipes at something, and then hoping the poison gets somebody. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, obviously you're teleporting salamanders. You're playing with salamanders, and they're really really strong. Don't get me wrong, but it seems like you're really hoping to spike sixes everywhere. You're not very re resilient. You're playing skinks, which are Galatian vets, so they're going to die to every bounty hunter that's ever existed. So I really ended up being in Coalesce, and then the question is Thunder Lizard or uh, Kotal's Claw. And uh, you just look at the difference between the factions. I really like the Source. I like playing the Source Knights. I think they're one of the best units um, to be bounty hunters. They're not Galatian vets, obviously, they have a mount. And uh, so that's why I went with them. Um, you have a million attacks. When you charge, you get all out attack, which is the faction bonus, which is why you want to be in Kotal's Claw. And you get a decent artifact, the Eviscerating Blade, which is uh, sixes or two mortals in addition to when you're hitting. So you take the uh, hero that has the most possible attacks of six um, for the uh, Scarvet on Garnosaur. 
then you give him that thing. Now, if you go to uh, Thunder Lizard, you just get to double tap with one of your shooting guys, a Bastilladon or Engine of the Gods, and uh, your monsters have plus two wounds. But if you look at a lot of the Thunder Lizard lists that have been winning, you're just playing two monsters. You've got the uh, Engine of the Gods and a Bastilladon usually, so you're only getting plus four wounds. If you want to call it eight wounds because of the minus one to damage, that's true. But that's what you're getting, is you're getting an extra four wounds versus all-out attack whenever you charge, and you're pretty much always going to be the one charging. You've got 3d6 charges. You can screen where you need to and get the charges where you want them to be. So uh, and so that's really why I leaned towards Kotal's Claw. I just find that the the bonuses are better. Also, the artifact and Thunder Lizard isn't even worth talking about. On a 2+, plus, you get a Mortal Wound, and on a, a 6, you get D3 or something. Like, yeah, it's it's a questionable artifact. Like I I built a Thunder Lizard list. It's funny actually because I bought the um, Broken Realms boxes. I bought two of them where you sure. got like two Steggies, two Bastilladons, and I'm like, this will be my casual fun two E Seraphon. Oh, it was like three E. Like it was gonna be a fun army, and then it just got an absolute uh, boost in in power. It's like ah, uh, you can sit in a box for a while. But it was yeah. right. Like I, I looked at the artifact and I was a bit eh. But it's interesting because you don't see, or maybe I don't see a lot of Coattail's Claw. Like it always seems like Thunder Lizard, Thunder Lizard, Thunder Lizard, or you're on the other side of the book yeah. and you're going, you know, Starborn. Well, the big thing is uh, people love the Bastilladon. I don't really get it. Um, I just don't uh, under really understand because it's always mediocre for me. And you have to put a lot of points into making good. You need to take a Skink Priest um because that's what gives you the all-out attack until your next hero phase so like when you're double tapping it with the uh command ability you can actually do that so because otherwise you can't all out attack the thing it's hitting on fours so you want to be able to all out attack it so instead you use this command ability from the skink priest and the hero phase which gives you all that attack until your next hero phase i think it's uh command of the gods or something like that um so, sorry continue so really you need to stack a lot of things onto this Bastilladon to make it even real. It's nine shots, minus one rend, two damage. Um, on average, you're wounding three, three, four times. And it's just, it's never, it never does really anything. It's not really the targets you want to hit. You're not, uh, you can't guarantee anything with minus one rend. So I don't really like it too much. Um, so that's why I've kind of shied away. I actually took it out of my list because it and added more chameleon skinks because you just can't. You can't force damage through with uh, minus one rend. That's uh, another reason I went away from that and just played a lot more Chameleon Skinks. Is there a, uh, and we will show the list by the way, and I'll show the opponents and the path and we'll try to understand the decision-making of Dean and why you built what you built. And I'm sure many of you are thinking about when we move from the next general's handbook, how would the GV, the, like the lack of GV and the lack of bounty hunters change this list? But is there a play style difference? Like, just talk to me a little bit, right? Like, imagine I've always played Thunder Lizards. Like, I love my Steggies. I love my my Bastilladons. What I'm hearing so far is if I take the same list and I put it into Kotal's Claw, it's not nearly as good. And what I'm hearing is that there's a lot of unit selections that would be different in a Kotal's Claw list versus a, um, a Thunder Lizard list, despite them both being coalesced. Yeah, yeah. Um... I've I think I've said it I've said it before um, on previous podcasts and talks and everything, but uh, I I don't want to be mean to Thunder Lizard players, but I think it's more of the uh, easy mo autopilot kind of build. 
as long as you use your command abilities in your hero phase and you shoot your Bastilladon twice, you're just going to get the value that you paid for. You know, your, your list is going to do what it's going to do. You're going to screen with skinks. They're going to die. And then you're still going to be shooting your Bastilladon twice or your engine of the gods is going to be summoning units or doing whatever it's going to do. But there's not a lot of uh, generalship in that. You're just doing what your list does every game. And uh, you don't have a lot of pieces to do that. All of the pieces that we're talking about are 250 points or more. So you're playing with, you know, eight units, eight, nine units, whatever. And they're all uh, doing what they're supposed to do. So it's not bad by any means. I think it's a very good list for, especially for new players. So there's not a lot to remember. There's not a lot that you have to do or memorize or know about your point. You can actually focus more on what your opponent's doing and what their list is doing because your list is going to do what it's going to do. When you play something like Kotal's Claw, a lot more of your decisions matter, where your positioning matters. And once if you make a mistake and you get caught in a place you're not supposed to get caught in or somebody catches you with some rule and ties up your your hammer with one of their anvils and you can't get it out or do anything, you're just kind of stuck. And uh, so, so mistakes are a lot more punishing in Kotal's Claw because you really need to get your charges off. You really need to make sure your, tar- your hammers hit not their anvils. You hit the targets that you want to hit because a lot of times you don't have rend in a lot of places you don't you know, if your fully buffed unit isn't hitting the thing it's supposed to hit it's much uh much more difficult to get value out of so i think it's a lot harder to play which uh could be why it's perceived as being a lot worse when uh the benefits are actually pretty good all at attack for all of your guys is people pay for that you know all at attack every time you attack something so i i like it it seems like a middle ground between thunder lizards and starborn because like my limited experience playing with thunder lizards feels like sons of behemoth in order like i'm just running a couple of monster trucks i'm having an absolute field day it's like running beast claw raiders it's like playing sons it's limited decisions your power is in individual models you're not relying too heavily on the synergy you then go to the other side which is you know your um the space lizards where it is all about the bravery 10 high magic you know very synergy driven between you know the athlete bearer the slan and the you know the saurus guard and all the combination that has to happen right and that was where the points like a lot of people who play that kind of list their points went up like 100 120 yeah. points where you you said your list only went up 20 so that's it just I the feel- slan so it feels like you know you got the best of, and you can you can play a carnosaur, and you can play it like it wants to play, as opposed to looking at like oh should I get a, tro- a troglodon to boost the magic output of my slan? I mean, I I love the troglodon. This is the first model I painted when I got the the army, and it was like. I, I love that guy. I actually, I played him over the Slon in uh, New Orleans. I'll never do it again. I can't recommend it. But uh, like uh, the Troglodon is such a delight, especially with Croak when you're just able to like cast his Celestial Deliverance or uh, yeah. whatever it's called, the 16-inch yeah, 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 yeah. or 10-inch nonsense to just blow stuff up. It's so funny. Like I love that little guy. I got to ask you though, do you actually own the full model or have you done what everyone else has done um, I remember whatever I can't remember the old the old name of the Lizardman forum, but it's got the guide on how to turn the Carnosaur kit into the Troglodon kit as well, and everyone's got the Troglodon coming out of the water using the spare parts for the Troglodon. No, I haven't built. I I just I I have I bought four of the uh, start collecting Saurus boxes or whatever, so I have three Carnosaurs and one Troglodon. 
Oh, it's such a, I, I love it. I, I, I do love the model. It's, uh, it's goofy as all hell. Um, yes. <laughs> it's so goofy. It's just fun, but I, I, I do enjoy it. But something that I did want to, before we get into lists, I did want to ask you about something hot off the press, and that is the Warcry Warband. So, um, oh, these guys Ser are hunters of Huanxi. Yeah, the Hunters of Huanxi, there's three War Scrolls. Yep. Um, you have two chameleon skinks, essentially. One's a bit more melee-focused, one's a bit more com um, missile weapon-focused. And then you have this Ripodactyl-type model called the... Well, we'll get to it in a second. Yeah, I thought there was going to be new Pterodons, but yeah, they were like... That's what I thought. Terror something, so... Terror yeah. Wing? Terror Wings? Yeah, we'll, get, we'll, get wings. To, yeah. we'll get to the name in a minute. I've got all three War Scrolls, but um, what was your initial thoughts? I mean, obviously, the models are incredible, and as soon as I saw that, I'm like, yes, I've got now some alternative things for for, um, for uh, Chameleon Skinks. The, uh, I think they're, they're basically the same as Chameleon Skinks for the most part. Um, the... Uh, these guys have a leader, which is important. They have a champion. Normal chameleon skinks don't, so you can't issue orders. You can't rally. You can't stop them from running. Um, so these guys having a champion is huge. They have the same poison on hitting for the dart pipes with one extra attack because they do have a champion. Um, the musician doesn't matter. No one cares if you've got to, if you're going to be able to run in charge with these things. You're never going to do that. Um, the big difference is on how how they are defensive. So the uh, chameleon skinks now have a four plus ward while they're within one inch of terrain not in cover not you know in terrain just within one inch you just drop them anywhere and they get the four plus ward which is really really strong and probably the best of the uh ward updates or cover save updates that they gave out um back at the beginning of third this one however is kind of interesting where you can't be seen more than 12 inches away or not at all if you're in cover now, this is funny because if you drop them in, let's say like you have the other hunters of Wanchi, the melee guys, let's say you drop them in and you charge into cover against like long strikes or something. They can't shoot you. You charge into cover. They can't overwatch you or uh, whatever it's called. And, Ellie Shell. Yeah. And they can't shoot you in the next turn when it's their turn either because they cannot see you. So they've got to beat you in combat with your stupid little chameleons with clubs and bolas or whatever, and they can't fight you. So it's Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that because you think about the initial part. It's like, yeah, okay, cool. They're not visible if they're on terrain or if they're you know outside of 12, which is handy, right? Sure. means that you can't be targeted by spells. You can't be targeted by shooting. But some, there is some absolutely interesting play. I love that you call that out is if you're in cover and you obviously either deploy in cover or you uh, drop outside of cover and then hit the charge or move, whatever it might be, um, it, it makes them great for contesting objectives. It, it allows you to, to do a few flexible things that maybe you wouldn't normally do with the average chameleon skink. Right. They do cost 20 more points than chameleon skinks, but I think overall especially if this is the way they're going with perfect perfect mimicry i think it's a fine change honestly it's got it's got a lot more funny play um i do wonder if it's going to get changed like they can't be seen at all like in combat or something maybe they'll change that specifically but yeah right now it's very funny would you swap them if i was if i was the average chameleon skink user uh well actually no before we do that if if I wasn't using Chameleon Skinks, do you think this War Scroll is good enough to be considered in the average Seraphon list? 
I mean, the average Seraphon list doesn't play Chameleon Skinks. I think I'm the only person playing Chameleon Skinks at all. Um, so no, I don't think that's going to change anybody's minds about them, especially going up 20 more points. Um, on average, they do three mortal wounds in shooting. Or no, two and a half or something, but whatever it is. Um, so they're not very, like, you're not doing a ton of mortal wounds, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, one and a half. One and a half mortals, because it's uh, ten of them. I was doing the math for the two squads. I play two squads with the Chameleon Skinks, so uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to be start picking these guys up if they're not going to play Chameleon Skinks. They're not going to play twenty more points for these guys when the defensive trickery is not mar- not much better. In fact, it's arguable if a four plus ward is generically better than uh, this perfect mimicry new rule. So then, my next question would be: If I was playing Chameleon Skinks, would you swap them out to be this unit, this unit instead? It depends on how much shooting's in the meta, um, really, and really, it's just long strikes right now and iron blasters, I guess. If we're uh, you know talking about iron blasters, but uh, I mean, I don't think I'd make the change. I don't, I don't know where I'd find twenty more points per unit. Um, that's kind of a big deal. It is nice having a champion though, because when like one of them dies and they're bravery five, you're like, oh my god, here we go. This is how we lose the squad. Yeah, it always surprises me that you don't see as many chameleon skinks in, and I think it's just you run out of points, especially as we saw the uh, the battle scroll increase the points across Seraphon. Um, right. I think people have intentions to run things like you know Ripodactyls or, um, or or chameleon skinks, but when you look at the core of the army and it's very very strong, um, you just run out of points. Yeah, and you're priced into playing a certain way, especially if you're playing Starborn. You have to take an Astroth Bear, you have to take a Slan, you. You have to take so many points of whatever just to maximize your summoning, which uh, is very good. Don't get me wrong, but it's all it's random summoning. I don't know why it's all D3s, but that's just another complaint for another day. But uh, yeah, I would definitely if I was going to play the Starborn, I'd be playing the Fangs of Sotek. I'd be bringing a squad of 10 Chameleon Skanks so that they can shoot things and run away or whatever. But it's good list. for scoring. It's good for scoring battle tactics. I mean, obviously, you know, we don't know what the new battle tactics going to be, but in the current general's handbook, um, you know, there's a couple of good ones. Being able to claim a piece of terrain, having two units in enemy territory, like there's there's things that'll help you score your grand strategies as well. So, which is exactly why I'm playing them. Um, yeah. I'm not. I'm not the teleport army. I can't get across into their side as easily, especially if you're playing Dracothian's Tale. A lot of the uh, battle tactics become trivial. Um, but I play two of Chameleon Skinks and the Celestin Prime so that I can be on their side of the board. And that's really why is the current battle pack, because you get two battle tactics very easily without even having to try. Yeah, it's like when I run my daughters at Kane, you know, you always have those two units of Canary. Otherwise, you know, you score like two, three uh, battle tactics with Canary alone. And I see if you don't have the teleporty shenanigans and you're struggling a little bit on your battle tactics, this could be a way to kind of boost them up a little. Right. But this is the other one. There's another version of it, and it's actually more of a melee type focus, I think. So it's less about the blowpipes. It's more about... Um, there's a, there's a few more, I guess, at least, you know, you got the Starstone uh, Bolus, which is, is as opposed to the Blowpipe. Yeah, you still get a decent number of attacks with the Bolas, half the number of attacks. They're still, uh, they do this weird stun thing, um, which is interesting, but it can be funny. The big thing is that they did the same thing they did with the one unit of uh, storm Stormcast guys that deep strikes outside of nine but can't shoot nine inches. Like, (laughs) 
yeah. question mark. <laughs> like, so it'd be cool if you could drop these guys. They have a 10 inch range and then you can throw your bolas, give them the minus one to hit and then charge into them, which is, you know, that that actually be worth something. I don't forget how much point, how many points these guys were. Uh, not nine they're at 90 i think from memory 90 yeah. 99 there was somewhere between like 80 to 100 i think it's about 90 i think from memory yeah i think the uh, flying guys were like 60 points which i thought was awesome because that makes them like the cheapest thing in the codex um so you're paying just a point per wound or 10 points per wound which is like where i average is this worth taking just on the wounds count alone so they're kind of cool but yeah if these guys are 90 points it's just if they had a 10 inch range i'd like them so much more it does it does hurt a little bit and you know like if you go in there with your bolus you're not going to do a lot of damage let's be honest but again they're a utility harass battle tactic uh steal objectives off people actually i do want to call out i do love the ability to unlike canary once you drop them down on the table you can take them off put them back into reserve and they have uh rules very similar to like the again go back to daughters of cain you've got the the teleporty um what's it called the shadow strike where you know they're on an objective and then you know you put them back into reserve then the next turn you can put them back into deep strike so if you need to go from one side of the board to another to steal an objective that you don't have the movement to go claim um i love the versatility and the melee ones are not too bad the price yeah they're actually they're pretty well costed are they they're 10 in a squad or are they five fives from memory yeah 10 would be great fives. yeah if they, they were 10 that'd be really good then I'd actually really like these guys. Um, the the big thing with the going back in the sky, like the current chameleon skanks do that. Um, they can go back in. The big thing is that you can't do it on turn three. So you can't bring it because you'll die. Because if you're not deployed on turn four, deep striking units die per the GHB, whatever. So if you're not, yeah. but if on turn four, you can pull them into the sky and then bring them back down on turn five. So <laughs> because the trigger for dying in deep strike is specifically beginning of turn four so you it. know it's something and it does it did did come up one time like i dropped them down to like Sh crap how am i going to get over here to get this objective all right chameleon skinks it's time to go so it's almost like okay turn one you deep strike them down no 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 turn one yeah, turn two whatever no, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah as long and then you go back in yeah uh, as long as math. you as long as you bring yourself back in and you're not in deep strike on the beginning of turn four you're turn, safe yes yeah yeah but you can teleport to turn five um if you set it up correctly yes this is a new unit as you said i thought this was going to be just an up the update to like the ter the pterodons or the ripodactyls but this is something right. completely different yeah um the, the, the funniest the thing i find about the Ripperdactyls, Pterodons, and Terror Wings is that the Ripperdactyls and the Terror Wings move 12. The Pterodons move 16 and they're carrying giant rocks. I don't get it. They're not the melee ones. <laughs> they're, they're carrying giant rocks and they're so much faster. They just buff. They just buff. <laughs> so, so when you look at the, the Terror Wings, um, do you like them? Because Ripidactyls and Pterodons, you don't see a lot of them on the table in general. So I don't know if that's a war scroll issue or points issue, or if it's just that everyone has the best intentions to include them, but they just get dropped out because of these synergy bubbles that we've spoken about before. As I mentioned just a second ago, um, I like these guys specifically because they cost 60 points and they are six wounds for 60 points. And once you're paying 10 points per wound, that's you're already doing pretty well. They're fast. They can grab objectives. 
they're not going to hold them super well with just the three of them. But uh, I've I did play Ripper Dactyls once upon a time, and you've you'll be surprised the number of games you can just win by having something that's fast. You know, you have three guys that's more than a hero that they're leaving back to cap an objective, whatever. Uh, these guys just they don't fight well, and the worst part is that they have a snapping beak. If it was a snapping jaw, they'd get plus oh. one attack and blessed. Uh, just just a quick clarification. Um, Terror wings are seventy five points, so they're three oh, they're seventy five. Yeah, so yeah. so the um the dart pipe um chameleon skinks are five for one hundred and thirty five points. Yep. Um, the melee focused ones are ninety points for five, and then yeah, the terror wings are three for seventy five. So yeah, they're a little mm -hmm. more than I'd like to pay. None of them are battle line options. There's no battle line ifs. They're 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 just other. Which makes sense. I mean, I don't think uh, they were going to release a real co Codex Battle Tome update um, mid-season or whatever. But when they get the book, they might. we might finally get, if you take a Pterodon, because you have the, the uh, hero versions of the Pterodon, the hero version of the Ripperdactyl guy, and they don't do anything right now. But given the books we've seen in the past, like if they make Ripperdactyl's battle line or Pterodon's battle line and actually do something, you might see them actually show up and maybe that'll uh, go over to terror wings as well. Terror wings have two interesting rules. I'd love your thoughts on them. First being the nerve shredding screeches. So in the shooting phase, you can pick one enemy unit that's within 12 inches of it and roll 2d6. If the roll is higher than the unit's bravery, that, that uh, enemy unit cannot issue or receive commands until the end of the turn. So no, all out attack, all out defense, no uh what no redeploy, no inspiring presence. Yeah, it's it'd be it turning those off is very good. Uh roar is a three plus. And this is so much worse than that. Um I I think it was Vince from his podcast um that said GW just doesn't understand statistics because 2d6 doesn't beat the bravery of pretty much anything um because it has to be higher it can't tie it so it's got it the only thing that your odds even to beat is bravery six and less yeah and that's rats skinks um the skinks CD that aren't in starborn i guess cities gets garg i mean gargans are a bravery seven on average so a mega gargan so i think the challenge is there's so much chaos there's so much death and there's a lot of high bravery type order and other armies that yeah you might at a gt you might get one good two good opponents where you could use this but it's a high risk play yeah i mean the thing is it doesn't cost you anything to do it that's the good news except for taking these guys in your army which I mean that is a cost for sure it's just uh i i don't like the bravery um i don't like the bravery rolls they should they should all be 3d6 um or depending on what they're targeting maybe it scales up i don't know but they keep releasing these 2d6 bravery check rules and they're always bad um i don't it doesn't make any really sense to me because the things you want to target with them are things you can't target with this or just hope to get very lucky i guess yeah, it's the same reason when I was looking at the Slaves to Darkness book when the Mind Stealer Kitty Cat had changed its rules to a bravery check like this. I'm like, no, nah, I'm out. At least when it used to be like on a four plus, I was happy for a 50-50 shot. Now it's like there's too much high bravery. Look, it 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 wouldn't write the war scroll off completely, but I wouldn't take it purely for this particular rule. Correct. Yeah, this if this is this is not worth points to me. It's nice to have, but I wouldn't I wouldn't bring it for this thing. If 
yeah, that's exactly what you're saying. And what about the other side, the symbiotic it, uh, relationship? I uh, I would really like this if it didn't have the nine inch um, enemy units thing. You're already having to put chameleon skinks wherever, and then you could drop these guys in in front and maybe get a six inch charge or something if it didn't have that, because. Or if they're already in combat, you can drop them in near combat and nearly guarantee a charge. But otherwise, like, I don't really understand why they just have standard deep strike rules. You know, just deep strike on their own. I don't know why they need Hunters of Huan Chi to be around. Um, I don't know why. There's no synergy between them. It's not like Hunters of Huan Chi are plus one to hit while they're around this thing or anything like that. There's no reason um, other than they come in the same war, war cry box, I guess. Um, so not really impressed by that. I, I would really like it if it just didn't say the nine inches. Setting these guys up within three inches that you deep strike in the Hunters of Wanshi in front, and then these guys are right in front of them, and you got a six-inch charge. That's awesome. Big fan of that. But since they can't, I don't know. Not a fan. And there's no elite unit there, so they can't issue their own command. So if they fail that charge, and you want to probably get... I mean, unless you're deep striking them in for the shooting attack, and again, we just talked about the value of the shooting attack. Um, I mean, the combat profile isn't that great anyway. No. Four attacks, hitting on fours, <laughs> no. winning. So, like, are you deep striking them because you want to get them into combat? Probably not. Um, right. So, like... These these remind me a little bit of like Aether Wings, where you take them in to harass your unit, to screen, to be annoying, to, to get plus one to shoot. Like Aether well, Wings have a great puff, you know. <laughs> but you, you're taking them for like cheap chaff, fast chaff, uh, chaff that can take early objectives while the rest of your force goes out and does its thing. And yeah. if these die, they die. But um, yeah, these are already, they're already plenty fast. It's not like you know, they need to deep strike to get a charge off. Um, so it, I just don't, I don't really know what the benefit is of putting them in there with the tax of taking another Hunters of Huanshi unit in order to do this. Which is what I wanted to hear from you. It was basically, do you like the rule? And then would it, would it actually get you to swap out your Chameleon Skinks or to bring in one of the Hunters units? And I think the answer is probably no. The synergy no. there itself to 200 points is probably not worth it. Um, yeah. And but it's a cool it's a bloody cool model and who knows what's coming in a new battle time they could be exactly some, yeah i mean it could they, be some they always change the rules for these uh mid-season releases we just saw it with the lumineth book you know they change them coming in um so we'll see what they end up being and you know what they might be some rules where you know there's an artifact or a command trait that allows you to deep strike within six you know we you see it in the um the um the uh, what's it called like you see in stormcast we can deep strike outside outside of seven outside as seven. opposed to yeah. so who knows this is all just like it's a great model you never know what's coming down the, the down the line like i said you take off that nine inch rule and they can they have to drop still drop within three of their friends i'm in i'm in for those guys they suck they don't do a lot of fighting but if you can like get a charge off even just drop the chameleons in and they get a charge off with these guys to screen out something or just take an overwatch from something great i'm in for like versatility and usefulness but as it is uh, too many things no. that I already the points in seraphon are already too tight so i think being very clear on why you're taking the unit and what role it's playing and what's the value it's bringing again you are there's tough decisions being made. I know even, again, even my Thunder Lids' list, it was becoming very difficult because all these different little things I wanted was yep. hitting the 2K mark super easy. And I was like, oh, I don't have chaff. I don't have this. I don't have that. It's like, where's my my tough trade-offs, let alone um, 
you know, but yes, to, to David's point, this is kind of what I'm kind of referring to is you can absolutely use them to deep strike to achieve battle tactics. If you are struggling to get um, capture terrain, having multiple units on, um, you know, a proving ground, if you have a, you know, a battle, obviously sure. these aren't battle line options, but if you're struggling to capture the proving ground, you're struggling to capture this or to do this, these might be tools that could help you. Yeah, I guess my my counter to that is just if you take tunes of chameleon skinks as they are right now, they might change points later. That's uh, two hundred and thirty points. The hunters of Huanchi at one thirty five chameleon skinks with those guys at seventy five. That's two hundred and ten. Like you're only playing twenty points more to have two units that actually do what you want them to do already. Or you take the ninety five point with the seventy five point guy. You save a few points, but you don't have the shooting output. I. I know where I am on that side of the conversation. Just take the things that do the things. You don't need to save points with uh, pterodons, terror wings, yeah. or whatever. It, you do you. Uh, I think yeah. I think I agree. I agree with you. But if I if my list is you know I don't know what nineteen no not even nineteen ten like if I'm at the, almost at the end end of my list and I I want those two deep striking units it might sure. be an option. But yeah. I think if I'm at the early starts of list building. Yeah, I'm probably going more to chameleon skinks or some other option, right? As opposed to that being a, a priority choice. Yep. Speaking of priority choices, let's talk your list. Let's actually talk your tournament winning list, and I'd love to hear about how you thought about the battle pack. You thought about the the list design. Thought about the synergies, and you will see some a couple of options. And before anyone freaks out and like they blow up the internet like Kim Kardashian, there was a error. The Warblade is a war spear. There is no difference. There is no reason to take the Warblade. It is a copy pasta error. Nothing more. Dean right. does not have any secret list tech on why you take the Warblade. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything you don't know. The Warblade has the exact same profile as the War Spear. It has no bonuses. It's got no War Scroll rules. Whereas the War Spear, you get plus one damage on the charge. There's no reason ever to take the Warblade. I don't know why it's on the War Scroll at all. It doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> Like I could have just made it like twos and twos or something, and then at least there'd be a reason for it to be on the war scroll. But it, it, otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. So cool. for any confusion, it's not real. It was a war spear. Of course, it was a war spear. People, when I put your list up into the Facebook group, I was, I was talking to Seraphon people, and that was the first comment. People were like, "Why is he doing this?" Um, so let's talk through the <laughs> let's talk through the list. Um, and I'd love to hear a little bit some of your thinking again because this is a, a bit of an untraditional list, but it's also very this general's handbook. Um, you know, Soros Knights yeah. have Soros Knights have definitely seen popularity grow, and I'd be curious to think about as well when the next book comes or the next general's handbook comes. Will some of these you know units drop off, or is there any considerations on on what would swap in and swap out? But I'll read through the list. You've got your Slan Star Master with the um the grubs, the exits grubs, the artifacts, itsy grubs, and the Stellar Tempest spell. You've got the Saurus Scar Vet on Carnosaur. That's the general. That's got the dominant predator and is a war spear spear um we have the inviscerating blade and the beast master one of the new mount traits that were added to um from white dwarf yep you have two skink star priests both with a hand of glory you have uh, primed one of those is a star seer with oh sorry sorry uh, that, that is me one's a skink star seer one is a skink star priest that is me 
having a bias of just reading the same thing, but they sure. both have hand of glory. They both have hand of glory. You've got prime time, which is an ally. You've got uh, five Saurus guard, two units of two units of five chameleon skinks, two units of 10 Saurus knights with lances and a unit of five Saurus knights with lances. So yes. um, all wrapped up in a bounty hunter, a battle regiment and a commanding entourage with magnificent, getting yourself an extra artifact and 207 wounds at seven drops. Yes. A lot of things here, man, the prime you don't see very often. I've heard some people talking a bit about prime, but it's not the most popular ally choice. You definitely, as we talked already, the, the chameleon skinks, we don't see them a lot. And this particular general's handbook has really increased the value of Saurus Knights, where traditionally the world would be either Saurus Warriors or would be Skinks. Skinks, right. Whereas this is a battle line choice that uh, very is not a Galatian vet. It's not going to take bonus damage from bounty hunters, while also being able to be bounty hunters themselves. Um, they're already they're already very good at clearing chaff, and now it's like five of these guys will kill like. 30 40 clan rats by themselves without even no question um so uh yeah like they're one of my favorite units one of my least favorite models the model is <laughs> truly horrible yeah it's... i i hated painting them and i had to paint five more for this event because of the points change i lost the bastillodon there was a bastillodon in this at uh chicago um it was one of the easiest drops again i it's so underwhelming um, just as a model choice. Um, I think it used to do more. Maybe there were like back at the beginning of third, end of second, like there was a lot more targets for it, but it, it can't even reliably kill support heroes in one salvo. So I just not a big fan of it. And it certainly doesn't do anything against a lot of the armies that we're seeing right now with higher armor saves and everything. Um, four pluses, three pluses, whatever. Um, don't really care for that. The chameleon skinks are there for scoring the two battle tactics, either barge through enemy lines or desecrate their land. Um, similarly, the Celestine Prime is also there for that purpose. That's what I played it for in uh, Chicago. I only had one chameleon skinks and him, so then they would commit out on the same turn and then be able to do that battle tactic for me. Because obviously you're a very melee-centric army. You're not able to push through their lines um, the traditional way, so you had to do it the uh, the backwards way, the back back capping style. Um, the Saurus Guard are only there just to protect the Slan. Um, though I have randomly won games, and I won my final game, my 4-0 game at Chicago because they're Galatian vets. <laughs> so, And uh, they stopped, what is it, against the odds that requires them not to be contested by a Galatian vet or whatever. Yeah. And they just happened to be standing there. So that was kind of wild. Um, but they were just, I almost cut them because for another unit of five swords, so I'd play 10 by 10 by 10. The only reason I didn't do that is because I was a little bit worried with Stormcast being in my bracket that the long strikes would shoot the slot off the table. Because the long strikes can reasonably, six long, three six long strikes can reasonably do seven wounds, whatever, um, in shooting uh, through the six up ward. And especially if they're doing mortals, now they're going to do 17 wounds, which is a lot bigger of an ask for pretty much any unit. So it protects you from a turn one alpha strike on your slot, which is probably the most important model in the army. 
yeah like it's that pays for itself right there right if you like when i when i look at lists like this you know outside of that um the saurus guard you want to take down the slan as soon as possible you know it's shutting right. off my magic it has got the spells to be able to do mortal wounds to my support heroes to chip off certain things um it's just a commanding board-wide presence so the sooner i can get that star, that star master off the better and if right. when you start when you start being able to bodyguard with the saurus guard being able to use heal as well the like, heroic recovery or emerald right. life swarm it just makes it either a i'm committing a lot of my resources and then that's where your carnosaur and your your saurus warrior saurus guard come at me or your, your knights right or i ignore it and you love that you love it, i ignore it because then you just do what you want to do exactly that's exactly it 100 also the etsy grubs heal you they're master of magic, plus they heal you one during each of your hero phases, which comes up constantly. Like people will just take a pot shot at the salon. A lot of that wounds will go to the Saurus guard. One will make it onto him. And he's like, all right, I'm good. I'm good. I got that back. We're good. It's so demoralizing. <laughs> it, is, so it is the funniest thing. <laughs> so how does this work? Like, um, let's break this down, right? So first off, let's acknowledge the pink elephant in the room from Stormcast. You have the prime time, 300 points. Why is it in your list? Why haven't you put 300 points into something else that's Seraphon? What is it doing and how are you using it? The biggest weakness of this list, if you look at every other model that's not a Celestin Prime, in fact, if you look at every other model in the Codex that is not, uh, I guess, a Salamander, you don't have any Rend. There's no Rend anywhere in the book. Nowhere. Um, we get minus two Rend on Salamanders. The sources don't have rend on anything, nothing, and the on your jaws attack with the scarvet you get minus one rend. That's it. Prime time, however, <laughs> has minus three rend. Yeah, and uh, you give it's all on threes, woos on twos, rend three for three damage. Gets to auto choose one dice every turn, Ye or just say. He declares that he's charging. You just drop him in. You say, I declare that I'm moving 12. And then your opponent says, what? And you say, I didn't just say it. I declared it. It's very important. Um, so the rule, so the rule, folks, if you haven't looked at this, is every turn the prime can determine one dice roll. So instead of making the dice roll, it's like hit, wound, save, um, or charge, I think it is, or run. Yes. Um, you can just pick the number between one and six. But if you do a charge roll, you can pick the number between two and 12. Correct. So prime comes from the sky, outside of nine, outside of 12, who cares? Uh, sorry, sorry, 11, point, 11 right. nine, nine. Like you need to be within 12. Um, you could you could automatically go, yep, it's a 12-inch charge, no dice roll. And yep. I've been playing Prime recently. I've been actually I've been playing for the last six months. I love him because you can't use him in turn one because if he stays in the sky, he gets plus two attacks. So he goes from base three to, to five to seven. Threes and threes and twos rend three for three. So Correct. if you keep him up for at least two turns, he uh, gets five attacks. Yeah, one round. One yeah, round you keep yeah. him up. Yeah. Yeah. So by turn two, you're on five attacks. Turn three, I, I usually drop him down in turn two. Turn two is uh, statistically the best if you don't believe that turn five is real, which I don't believe turn five is real. So uh, doing the math there, it's the best. I do. I did bring Prime in on two separate occasions on turn one during the event, and it happens a lot. 
the reason is is the list is uh designed to snipe out support heroes so the yes. slon casting seller tempest which is going to do mortal wounds where you want them the skinks are going to do some number of mortal wounds and if you need a support hero to die he just picks somewhere on the board and everything within three inches of that point takes d3 mortals it's not a shooting attack it doesn't you, you can use it outside of combat away from the thing that you're currently fighting and basically it's a six inch uh aura and you just say, okay, are these two units within six? All right, well, I'm going to get everybody in this six-inch bubble with these D3 mortals. There's no roll. They just take D3. Yeah, it's just flat D3 for each of the units. And I know when I was building my... Uh, it's funny, actually, because um, I was building a Stormcast list that included a Slan Starmaster, the, the, the Comet from Stormcast, and the yeah. Prime. Because then I could just do, like, nine mortal wounds in a bubble. It's like, oh, you got support heroes. See you later. Um, but that that changed a little bit because now the 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 Star Master can't cast the comet. It used to be a little yeah. Loophole. It it was the funniest thing is they it's the only war scroll at the time was the the Stormcast war scrolls that said you couldn't. Uh, it didn't you, have you it. Didn't it, have you couldn't be cast by a non Stormcast wizard. Where every other war scroll had said that thing. And in fact, it was in the fact they fact it that uh, you couldn't take the Everblaze comet outside of stormcast they've, they've had a fact specifically for the stormcast spells i checked because i was going to cast the hell out of the freaking thing if i was allowed <laughs> but yeah so that, that was kind of wild that they did make that change i really love that uh that 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 interaction i think they i think honest wargamer had a uh they had a he was, list in, in the he, called like reign of stars or something yeah he, he was also using the um the star, the star Drake Drake. because of yeah. the reign of stars so there was a combination of just absolutely pure mortal wounds but going back to your prime the the reason you've got the prime is because you've got the rend You've yes. got utility of the mortal wounds. You've got a bit of a combat monster who can, not literally a monster, but like a combat threat that can come right. into enemy territory. And it's a very de-risk situation because he gets to determine automatically a 12-inch charge. Yeah, you, it's the most, it's the easiest, one of the easiest models to play in the whole game. I was talking to like autopilot. This guy is, he's such a delight because you don't have to worry about anything. You just say, I'm going to put him in. I need to do two mortal wounds to this hero to make sure they're dead. And he comes, he does this thing. I'm going to go hit this, whatever it is, for 9 to 15 damage. I mean, the rend is minus 3. Good luck. Whatever your after save is. Two more things. Uh, he's got a 4-up ward save, so it's native. Yeah. So um, he brings that with him, which is awesome. And he's a sub-commander. So he's only got 8 wounds. So it means you can put him into a battalion very easily. Yes. And uh, he got in a fight with Bastion Carthalos, and he won. And it was it was wonderful. <laughs> it was everything I've ever wanted in the whole wide world. Like, uh, he's minus three Ren, Bastion's only minus two. Neither of them are monsters roaring each other. So <laughs> and I get to pick a save, too. So I was like, I, I passed that save. All right, well, it's, you have one less attack. It's very, it's so funny. But yeah, Is Bastion... It... Go on, sorry. I was going to say, like, Bastion was like... I. Never played against the model before. I didn't even know what he did because nobody plays this guy. He's like Celestin Prime that has to walk. But he also does like, he has that mortal wound rule where he picks a unit on the battlefield and he like, all right, you got 12 wounds. I'm going to roll 12 dice every six of a mortal wound, which is just, <laughs> it's such a, he's such a weird model. He does do four damage, minus two, four damage, threes and twos. Um, I'd expect I'd expect to see him more often now. You got the Mega Gargants coming back because then he gets to roll 40 dice. But Yeah, 35 um, or whatever they are, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, some some megas have forty, yeah. so it's just like cool, forty dice on a six. It's a mortal wound, um. But f 
what I'm hearing, and just to kind of bring us back, is the Prime has a very specialist role that the 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 battle tome, your your Seraphon battle tome, doesn't currently have an answer for. Like, no, yeah, That's you it. can get some combaty type monsters like your Carnosaur, like your you know your Steggies and things like that, but it I doesn't played, have the tools. I played every like that spot has has been traditionally. I usually play six heroes in my Seraphon list. I only have five here because the Celestin Prime came in replacing i i played the engine of the gods i've played the troglodon i played a second carnosaur i played everything everything you can imagine and usually there's a skink priest in the list but once you drop all the skinks out of the list the skink priest isn't as good because you can't get your plus one to hit the three plus to run in charge um only works on skinks you don't have anything to take that with so like you drop those and then the skink priest is now 120 points or something up from 70 it was in june so they really don't like that guy. He's a uh, he, he's had he was a, bad, a little a bad year. He's a little undercosted. Let's yeah, I think was. the big yeah, I uh, I uh, don't know how much undercosted he was, especially when he couldn't cast spells. Then they released third edition, let him cast or prayers or whatever. They gave him like a prayer list that he could have, which was a huge boon. But uh, yeah, the three plus to run in charge is pretty good for engine of the gods or stegodons, whatever. And the uh, plus one to shoot until your next hero phase is very good. But that's it. Like, it's just a hero pa- hero phase piece that does a couple of things um, and casts some prayers or chants some prayers, whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, that's the big reason. As I played every other hitter in the Codex. I played everything. Um, I've also considered playing Alania and Elathor. And they they serve a very similar role as well. Because on turn two, they do two damage. It's not three like the prime, but on turn three, they do three damage. And on turn five, they do five damage. They're also a plus one caster. So back when Laucon was only 30 points, they were 265. Laucon was 30. You could do for 295, they could go anywhere on the board. So they kind of had the same, I can get in your deployment zone kind of feel. Um, but once I had to walk them and Laucon was like 50 points, you're basically paying two, 265 plus 50 is 315. I'm just going to play this play this Austin Prime all day at that point. But I did have a game in one of my test games. I did have Alania fight the Celestin Prime in turn five. And boy, did they win. <laughs> boy, did they have a good time. They have a five up ward as a spell. Um, their native, their war scroll spell is a five up ward. So it's not like the prime, but they are three up five up and he's a three up four up. So they're yeah. very similar. Um, and they do cost 60 less points. And if you're looking for a beater and a caster, like you really, they're, they're, they are very good. And they actually went down 20 points with the codex release from 285 to 265. So I do like them a lot. And if for some reason the prime goes up in points or changes, whatever, um, I'd love to play that guy again. Also, at some point, I don't know when it happened, but uh, I used to be able to take the Sylvaneth as an ally. Why is it flashing? That's wild. But uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, was an ally, and I think in this the GHB for this year they took a, took them away. So Sylvaneth's not an ally of Seraphon anymore, so I can't take the freaking doodly do piper trees. Oh, uh, you you tree, you tree revs? Oh, they... I, yeah, I would. I would have absolutely played tree revs instead of chameleon skinks because they're like ten less. They're five less points each. You can put them into uh, their Galatian vets. You can make them uh, conquerors, expert conquerors, or whatever. I mean, there's so many. They're the they're easily the best Galatian vet in uh, order right now um, by a lot. 
yeah, tree, tree revs are hot having the same teleport rules. They just, and unlike chameleon skins where you put something in reserve and then you bring them out of reserve, they're just teleporting in the yep. same turn, which um, for less points, um, same amount of wounds. Yeah, they don't have the name. Oh, no, they got um, double the wounds. They got two wounds a model. They're two wounds, of course. Okay, yeah, but, they don't have the, they don't, but, they, but they don't have the ward. They don't have the ward. They don't have a ward and they don't have a shooting attack, I don't think. But they do fight. They actually fight pretty reasonably. I think it's like threes and fours, minus one, one damage or something, two attacks. So they're actually reasonable at fighting. I think that's what their profile is. But uh, yeah, like, and I would definitely be playing them uh, at least one unit over the Chameleon Skin because they're just so silly, so good. But obviously, once you play this Lost in Prime, you don't really have a lot of points for allies anyway. So No, and I think you're out of points. So you'd have to drop the Prime because I think right. they're 80, 85 points. So you yep. couldn't even sneak one in. Before I move on to the Saurus Warriors, so the Saurus Knights, because I, I do want to talk about that. Sure. Burning question, if renders it a problem for Seraphon, why wouldn't you go get Purple Sun? Uh, didn't want to spend the points for it, and I don't like uh, casting endless spells. It's it's nice to have the endless spell because you always have an extra cast with the Slan. He casts Stellar Tempest, he casts uh, Comet's Call, and then you have an extra cast. It's usually Mystic Shield um, most of the time. But uh, every once in a while, if I've got points, I'll play the Burning Head. Or But at 90 points, it's really, really tough. That's a, another unit of guys, almost um so i i definitely would uh i just I, I have played it i did test with it i decided i'd rather play 10 more knights or five more knights get 10 extra wounds in the list um that's about it also the skink starseer his war scroll spell is minus one to their save so it's also like once they get in 18 inches you're basically you already have that built in you have like a kind of mini purple sun going on and the Star Priest War Scroll spell, if you don't know, is minus one to hit for a target unit. So one of them casts Hand of Glory, one of them casts their War Scroll spell, depending on which one you're looking for at that exact moment. And then the Slan does whatever Slan things he's going to do over in the corner. Yeah, um, no, I just wanted to make sure that there was, because uh, I'm yeah. sure there, there were some people going, well, if I don't really want to buy the Prime, and some people don't like going outside their faction. Um, no, sure. Especially and for 300 points. Yeah, and if you want to play the Purple Sun, it's great. Um, I mean, there's... But there is the problem that you are a melee army and the purple sun is going to get you too. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got to so, you you really watch out how you use it. It's very difficult to charge a unit of any size of 10, 10 source knights, especially into something and not and be able to tag the thing you're hitting, but not tag yourself with the purple sun. Yeah. Um, you also would then need to be playing with the astralith bearer to extend the range of the purple sun. You don't have to. But you have that option. You can get plus six inches to the cast range of the Purple Sun, um, which is something they changed in this GHB, which uh, probably shouldn't have. But uh, they're not the only ones that do it. I think the uh, Ossiarch Bone Reapers with Archon. I think it's Archon that has like plus six inch command ability for spells. Yeah, Lord Lord Arcanum as well. I think it is, or the there's a Stormcast Hero that can extend the range slightly. But... Right. You, you, if you're going to bring the purple sun, you need to really lift the model, like the, the unit that you're going into. Otherwise, yeah, they're going to they're going to reap the minus one to uh, to your save bonus against you as well. Right. 
before I get into Saurus Knights, this is actually probably a good transition question too, coming from King, because uh, King being new to AU Sigma, asking, is there a new General's Handbook coming out? And I don't want to buy something to be replaced. And the answer is yes, at the moment. Um, normally the General's Handbook, and this actually is a nice segue question because of Saurus right. Knights and the value in the GHB, is traditionally the General's Handbook is a 12-month book. In this particular year, they've broken up into six-month books. So um, the June was the, the release of the General's Handbook. So we can anticipate somewhere between December and January, there'll be a new book. Nothing has been formally announced, but we can expect it. Now, yeah. the, the big caveat there is the Battle Scroll was about a month late. So we'll, we're probably looking at this uh, new GHB also being several weeks pushed so it, they're not going to do anything on the holidays you're not going to see it on the 25th so either it's going to be the week before christmas it might show up the week between christmas and new year's otherwise it's going to be like the first or second week of january is, yeah uh, look if if you don't see it announced in the next week or two assume that it's not coming out till like mid-january so we don't know yeah. yet but it, it the reason it's a good segue question is you don't see Saurus Knights very often. Um, prior to this General's Handbook, you didn't really see them at all. Yes, Thunder right. Lizards really boost up the jaw attacks, and there's some great things, but Cavalry in general coalesced. hasn't really – sorry, Coalesce, sorry. Coalesce yeah. bo boosts up the jaw attacks, but people still preferred Skinks and Saurus Warriors on foot. Why Saurus Knights? Why reinforced? Because they're not going to get bonds of battle, so they're not going to be able to maximize the, their attacks. Um, are they just this current General's Handbook, or are they something that you would think about um, when we move into a new General's Handbook? Uh, okay, so the Saurus Warriors by themselves um, are basically Saurus Knights. Um, once you're in Coalesced, the Saurus Knights or Saurus Warriors have... They get, if you have 15 or more, they get plus one to their Celestite weapon. So they have one attack each. If you've got 20 of them, that ends up being 40 attacks because you get uh, the extra attack in there. So you have 40 Celestite attacks and then 20 Jaws attacks. That's 60 attacks, 61 attacks with the leader, whatever. With Saurus Knights in uh, any capacity, they don't need to have a, a number. It's not like you have seven or more or whatever. Just They have seven attacks a model. That's 70 attacks. The Jaws attacks are exact. The guy's budding is exactly the same. Fives and fours, two attacks. So those 20 attacks are the same. The difference is, is that Saurus warriors have rend. And especially with this GHB allowing them to be brother, bond battle brothers. The, bo bonds the, the, battle. Yeah, the, the bonds of battle. Yeah, the bonds of battle. They have actually rend because now you're playing Warblades, which, uh, and then you can actually get your Warblades with minus one rend. So there's, there is rend in there. And that's not bad. So you have 41 attacks with minus one rend. But you're still hitting on fours and threes. And especially if you're playing in Thunder Lizard, they're just fours and threes. If you're playing in Kotal's Claw, that's threes and threes when you're charging. So that's actually pretty good. Now, if you go to the Saurus Knights, they have War Spears. And when they charge, they do plus one damage. And they have two attacks a model. So you end up with, with 10 of them. You've got 20 War Spear attacks. And then you also have uh 30 30 uh bite mount bites and the mount the mounts hit on threes and fours so twos and fours when you're charging none of this has rend but you have a much higher damage potential uh, you got just have more attacks they're better quality attacks and on the charge they're doing two two damage each 
and bounty hunters three damage each two damage each across the board um and the big thing is all you care about is number of attacks you're going to put poison weapons from the skink star priest on one of these units you're going to send them in 20 attacks hitting on threes or 21 attacks hitting on threes seven of them are going or seven of them are going to miss and then 14 are going to go to wound that's 14 attacks potential for poison twos and fours for 30 of the attacks 25 of 24 of them are going through again so now you're at 38 potential for poison attacks and then you still have the guys biting on fours and fours which is whatever um, that's another 20 attacks so 10 more are going through so talking like almost 50 attacks rolling for poison oh, and just for the benefit of anyone who maybe don't know what you're talking about what's the poison attack the star priest can pick any seraphon unit not just skinks which a lot of people think it's just skinks which is why you see 30 blocks of skinks with the poison and that means sixes to wound for that unit for all of their attacks whether it's ranged or melee whatever do a mortal wound in addition to the uh damage so if you think that a 30 block of skinks you know with poison is good they're going to average eight mortal wounds um six to eight mortal wounds with skinks you're looking at you know nine ten with just much better damage attacks on the other side with better wounding rolls and everything else so it's uh that's one of the reasons to play knights you just have so many attacks they're good attacks in kotal's claw they're very accurate attacks and you're getting a lot of poison if you have anything worse than a four plus save you're just gonna die um even unbuffed it doesn't matter even without poison you're just gonna lose to this unit which people don't a lot of people don't really understand is that uh if you're not stormcast and these things hit you they're going to pick you up mm. and that's unbuffed you don't need to do anything to them you don't need to get plus to wound with the sun blood you don't need plus you don't need poison with the star priest you don't need all an attack because you can't have it the scarvet can give you six exploding sixes with 70 attacks oh my goodness you're gonna have the best time of your life so, so then I'm going to ask, sorry, go, continue. Go so I was going to say, no, was, that's, that's why Swarus Knights is, uh, because inside of Coalesce, they're the highest damage potential unit in the battle line section, possibly the Codex, honestly. I mean, Salamanders on six is obviously is a wildly different discussion, but uh, no, normal things looking for normal hit, hit and roll results, like you're not going to get a higher damage potential in the book. Uh, maybe if you stack all the buffs on skink chief on stegadon because that thing can get like 70 attacks or some nonsense by itself with the Beastmaster and the asterism and the mount trait as well or general trait which affects the mount so that's why um the source knights they're also not galatian vets they're not eating the bounty hunter you're minus one damage from everything because you're a Saurus unit, which is another reason not to play Skinks at all in a coalesced faction. Because if you're playing a if you're playing Sauruses, um, this was a change in the There's battle an FAQ scroll. Yeah. There was a battle scroll change that made it uh coalesced scaly skin doesn't affect skinks and slon, but it affects all your Saurus and all your monsters and your Croxigore, which no one plays. So just your Saurus and your monsters. So uh when people are coming with multi-damage Two, dam two damage especially is like the worst position for a lot of armies and you'll you'll never hear your opponent stop complaining about it once they learn that the their all their attacks are doing one damage like they it doesn't stop it's just come non-stop do you you know this is busted right yes i'm fully aware i know i know it's going to change i get it 
Oh, I don't know if it will change, but I must say that n- there's nothing that makes me more pleased than seeing a Cronspine go into Saurus Knights because it's the only quality target for it, and or you pin it down, yep. and because you're reducing the damage by one and you can tank up really well, 220 points can hold up a 500-point Cronspine for turns. Turns. Uh, and it's interesting Turns. because I because when I was building, I mentioned earlier, I was I I built myself a Thunder Lizard second edition, but off the back of two of the Broken Realms boxes. Yep. I remember doing the maths and noticing that Saurus Knights in the the Coalesced would have seven attacks. Yep. Problem is the a reinforced unit of ten, you don't really always get your ten attacks. Like it, it sounds great in theory, but because of the range, you you get six on average five uh, six well you've got to consider flower power you gotta you gotta understand geometry so if you uh put your bases in at an angle i don't wish i had some source guard bases around me but i don't uh but you can you can angle them so that they're incoherent like three of them can be just at an angle like you just make a like a flower petals they can be within an inch across just three guys can all be in one inch of each other so you just do flower power on either side string it I mean, the only I've only ever had two guys be out, like even against a short line. Like if you can fit the bases across, you can get almost as many guys and as uh, you have models, honestly. Um, so that's a big, and even with the the gore gruntas, same thing. Like actually, if you got a, like six uh, pigs, they can do the same thing with flower power. Like three, two threes, they can all get in with their one inch reach. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so uh, you, you you see, I call it the dog paw because you, you got the little little base, and then you have like sure. three. <laughs> what I'm calling out though is that ten isn't as easy to get all into combat, and you've sure. got to position and deploy very well. Gorgrunners are easier. You got six, or you've got um, three, but um, the bases are bigger though. But the big thing is you don't need all ten. Um, the reality of the situation is you do no, don't need, need all ten, and when you do need all ten, you can usually get it. Like if it's a monstrous base, you can easily get all ten. Like easily easily get all 10 if you're not walled in on either side you can get all 10 you only need eight nine most of the time anyway and it's... what what i wanted to mention about that is when i looked at it in second edition going into third edition it was good like was it great probably not but i think this particular general's handbook has really increased the value because of bounty hunters and as you've mentioned you can get it up to three damage and the beautiful thing is you can deny gv so you don't have to worry about getting two damage returned back to you from from bounty hunters themselves but and you you're also just... minus one native damage which is i mean you're there's nothing more tanky than uh thesaurus right now really like uh thesaurus knights are just so so tanky it's kind of ridiculous it's an incredible trade-off piece. You, you can have 220 points, have a big, large footprint on the table, and you can take down or you can kill a lot more than they're worth. Or oh, you, can tie up, yeah. you can defensively tie up across the board and deny your opponent for, for, for rounds if you play it smart. Yeah, the uh, in my second game against uh, Sweeney, Matt Sweeney, he had uh, the four Fulminators and the Scarvet, just the Scarvet fought the full unit of fulminators for four turns before dying and it it just it's so silly like i mean i, I maneuver a little bit to kind of keep the fulminators out of combat but just the scarvet by himself they only do one damage their jaws the jaws attacks only do one damage it's like all right let's just sit here for the rest of our lives me and you and that's 
the same thing happens with the knights. You just there's a lot of armies that really rely on their multi damage attacks or their high rend to just get through things, and they just can't against uh, a lot of the pieces in this army. So tell me then, if we move to a new general's handbook and bounty hunters is no longer around, GVs no longer around, bonds of battle no longer around. Do you, and obviously we don't know what the new GBH looks like and the incentives, right. but just assuming that those three things disappear alone, do you see a world where you will continue with Saurus Knights or is its value tied to bounty hunters and without bounty hunters, they're just not worth the investment? Uh, I won't say they're tied to bounty hunters. I will say they're tied to the meta. I don't know if you remember the end of the previous GHB where it was all swarms all the time. 120 zombies, zombies or something zombies rats whatever just things that couldn't be moved didn't make bravery checks or could auto pass bravery checks easily and they're just can you do this amount of wounds can you kill a gargant that costs 100 points every turn for the rest of this game in order to score anything um and if that's the case yeah they're still going to be great like they were really good at the end of that meta for that exact reason because Again, 10 Soros Knights by themselves with just two and one damage will kill a whole ton of zombies and skeletons and everything else. They do a really good, great, really good job there. Um, but if it really depends on what they change things into, if we go into a meta that doesn't favor, doesn't have Glacian vets, obviously, doesn't have bounty hunters, doesn't have any of that, but it doesn't favor smaller stronger units like doesn't favor stormcast for instance which none of these gvs really have or battle ghbs have favored stormcast yet so it'd be nice to see like msu kind of be favored in some way but um, i will say we know the next two battle tomes are gits and beast of chaos so yeah. will will they bring the horde back right and uh so that's that's the thing is like they're meta dependent i think a lot of the big thing about seraphon is they do everything of just a little bit above average so if you're looking for a unit to handle anything um it's probably in the seraphon codex um but we'd have to see what the changes are um if again if swarms come back they're still going to be your best choice um for clearing out that amount of power if we start going to big tall monsters like behemoths or something else probably not <laughs> try to find something with rend you know and there's not a lot of rend in the book you got to go towards mortal wounds and finding a different way maybe play double star priest to get double poison two units with poison i, I don't know it, it it changes a lot what your list is going to look like but i only build to the meta i don't build to just build a list because it looks fun to play that's not true i do have monster mash just four stag four or five stegodons and some troglodons and bastillodons just like <laughs> just push my monsters around the board for fun last question about the saurus knights i'm just curious given that sons uh you talked about volume and damage and rent how do the saurus knights go against mega gargants the you can with the list the list can clear a gargant a turn comfortably very comfortably clear a gargant a turn um they have a four plus save especially the babies the babies are the worst like i don't know why they don't have a four plus save it's really sad i don't get that at all but babies just die but the mega gargants with the four up especially and they've got like they have their artifact that's like a six up ward or something or a general trait that's a six they, ward. yeah they can get a six up war they can get 40 wounds like there's a couple of little flexes yeah. there but yeah you can easily kill a gargant a turn um 
without too much difficulty. Just the volume of attacks that you can put out. Their save is very medium, and they've only got all-out defense. So if you put a minus on them from a Star Seer, you hit them with some number of spells. The Scarvet also does uh, five damage on his bite at the top level. You can very easily clear a Garg in a turn. The question is, can you take objectives while you're doing that? Can you actually play the game while you're doing that? And that's always the question with Gargans. I find it to be a very 50-50 matchup I always have because you can they're going to send a Gargan at you. You're going to try to kill it. You're going to kill it, but did you take the objectives that they're just sitting on waiting for you back there with their 9,000 models or whatever? And 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 it's interesting is that because like I'm I'm playing Gargans at the moment despite what Cheeky is talking about. Did I mention I'm playing cities yet? No. Nope. I'm playing Gargans and I'm back to my Gargans <laughs> cuz I'm taking what well, I'm taking LVO. But with um with Gargans, like if I go into your Soros Knights, they're my only real threats. If I can take out those two units of Soros Knights, I feel relatively okay actually with my my son's army standing on objectives I, and I haven't played the new sons, and the new sons are lower attacks but higher damage, right? Yeah, you've got you've got um a little bit less rend, you have a little less attacks, but the attacks um instead of doing like damage one, damage two, they spike quite, you know, damage two, damage four, damage five. Um yeah, so that, so I actually think the matchup might have flipped to be more in their favor because my minus one to damage is worse now because you have less two damage attacks, less d3 attacks, and you've got more whatever higher than two damage attacks. Because yeah. once you start doing like three, I'm only reducing your damage by 33%, four, 25%, etc., etc., etc. Um, what is the uh the gargan ability where you can forego attacking but do like 4d6 mortal wounds because i saw yep. the, the, the in the best general bracket not no the best overall bracket the gargans player kept doing that and was like chucking varengard across the board and it was the funniest thing in the whole wide world i've done it once i've done it once only so the gatebreaker can sacrifice its attacks to on a four up do 4d6 yep. mortal wounds and i did 20 mortal wounds to a star drake um now, granted, there was protect, there was there was protectors in there as well, so they kind of right. took on some of the damage. But um, it's a fifty-fifty. Like if I roll yeah. a one to a three, it does literally nothing. Yes. So um, yeah, I mean, I I th it's not it's not good against my guys. You can just hit my guys and they'll die. They've just got normal saves, whatever. But if you're dealing with like Varengard, especially the pre current Varengard, which are like two plus with a uh, rerolling ones or whatever, just <laughs> speak of the devil. My opponents in the chat. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's the one i've done it once it's actually funny because i actually wasn't going to do it and he baited me to do it and i did it and i did 20 mortal wounds so uh not a bad not a bad role but uh, the reason i bring up gargans is not to talk about myself but to talk sure. about you've talked about volumes of attacks you have great ability to chip damage and to pull down minor heroes and to you know, great to pull down castles, right? You know, your Zinch, right. your Lumineth, you know, all these little armies that rely on four wound, five wound idiots, you've got the great tools. Yes. But can you do the DPS check to pull down a 35 to 40 wound Mega Gargit sitting on the objective? And I wanted to put, call out that I think the Saurus Knights, in combination with like the Prime and things, are the tools that are going to help you um, to, yeah, they, to do that. I mean, everyone talks about hammers and anvils. They're both. The Saurus Knights are both. They're your hammers and your anvils. You don't, they're your screens. And uh, they're also the guys that are going to do all your damage. And like I said, on average, they're they're getting 50-something wound rolls out of their 70 attacks, especially if you hit them with Hand of Glory rerolling ones, then that number just becomes whatever absurd number that you want it to be. Um, so that's, 
really all I can say about that is like you really do have the damage, especially because Gargants are on big bases. You're going to probably get most of the 10 squad in there. You're going to get the charge because Gargants can only do one thing and that's walk towards you. You know, you're not going to give up too many charges to them. But every once in a while, they roll a 12 and a charge and then you, have, you feel really bad as the crushing bulk or whatever destroys you. But... I, can I can colossal slam your uh, Carnosaur as well, which I want to talk about. <laughs> I, I do want to talk Ikarnasaur before I get into some of the matchups um, because I am curious how you're thinking as well about the new General's Handbook. I'm thinking about the new Battle Tome that is likely sure. going to be coming. Um, what's the role of the Carnosaur? Because, again, you don't see it that often um, because, like, whenever I fought it's, against the Carnosaur, like, I haven't been that impressed. But then bad. I remember it's only 200 points. Like, it's actually yeah. not a bad for its price. I always think it's like a 400 point hero, but it's not. Yeah, it's a it's a glass cannon, just missing the cannon for the most part. Um, the reason you take it is because you have to take the eviscerating blade. It's relatively cheap. It's a monster. It lets you do monstrous rampages. There's no other monsters in the list. You do want one. He has the most number of attacks with the war spear or war blade, as the list says. You know, either one has six attacks for the eviscerating blade, which is a lot of times like. You know, you'll spike sixes and you can be like, all right, because you have your asterism for plus one attack, your beast master can give you plus one attack. You end with eight attacks with this thing um, uh, pretty easily. You can, you know, three sixes is six mortal wounds in addition. You're going to kill a lot of models, units, whatever. And it has five damage at top level on its bite. Um, that used to be last season. It was more impressive because we were in, we had the, the uh, command ability that a monster would fight at its top level. Yes. So that was really cool to be able to do that. We don't have that anymore. Um, so it was a lot worse. Um, but the big thing that he does is he doesn't die super easily. He takes a lot more damage than he should because of the minus one damage, the scaly skin, give him finest hour, whatever. He's on a three plus save um, pretty consistently. And if you're near terrain, you do get the six up mystical, especially if you're in your own territory. What I do with him is often is break Beastmaster for the run charge. Beastmaster has two modes for those watching. You can either use it for running and charging once, or you can use it for plus one to all of your attack profiles for a turn. Um, so you can just use it for the run charge. Auto run him the six inches with himself. Um, Dominant Predator is the command trait that whenever you target a Saurus with one of his command abilities on a four plus, you get your command point back. So you auto run him four plus you get the command point back. You rally your guys four plus you get the command point back. You all at defense one of the guys that's being shot four plus you get your command point back. It just makes you extremely, extremely uh, command point efficient as long as you're targeting Saurus units, which you can always find a way to do it. And amusingly, you can do uh, heroic, uh, the plus one command point for a model. Yep. Heroic willpower? No, that's the no, deny. Hero yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. Heroic recovery, heroic recovery is healing. Heroic, yeah. heroic leadership, heroic leadership. Yeah, I think that's the one. Um, so actually, at the end, so you use that on, like, say you give them the first turn, use heroic leadership in your uh, rally phase. You say, I'm going to stop these guys from running away. They don't need a thing. On a four plus, you get to keep that free command point. It becomes a real one. So it's <laughs> just little silly crap like that that you can do. Um, but mostly you just give them the run charge, you move them up 16 inches, you make the short charge. Usually it's six inches or less, depending on the deployment. And he just, he hits something, he usually kills it because you're not going to hit something you're not going to kill, ideally. And then they have to spend a lot of their resources on that turn dealing with that unit. Um, that's a lot of the ways um, 
that you can win some games. Notice that the list is uh, seven drops. So the breaking points in Sigmar is one drop, four drop, seven drop. In my opinion, those are the three big breaking points, one, four, and seven. So either you're taking a command entourage for uh, an artifact, or you're taking, and then you're doing that plus bounty hunters and you get to seven. So if you're in those breaking points at seven drops, I've had a, I felt that I'd be going, being forced to go first a lot of the time. The star seer gives you a 3d6 to your charge, gives you a 3d6 charge instead of a 2d6 charge at 18 inches. So you can get your source knights in there, you move them up eight, then you get your 3d6 charge off. The scar, source scarvet can go 16 and then charge. So you can usually hit with a 10 block and a score scarvet on turn one if you're forced to go first. And by the time they clear that out, it's they've same thing as the gargant problem. They what have they done? Can they get the points? Can they do enough damage to DPS check you to get to the objectives? And a lot of times the answer is no. They'll lose a point here, or lose a point there. They might get one two, but not more. They might not get their battle tactic, whatever the case may be. Um, so you're just that's what you're looking to do with the scarvet is just be a nuisance. And a lot of people are afraid of it. They put a lot of firepower into taking this thing down or they set up a lot of things to make sure it's dead and it's it's not really worth much to me like it's <laughs> it's it's a great trade piece and in most cases it's a distraction because yeah whenever i whenever i played against a carnosaur whether it's the old blood or the scarvet you put him on a flank and it runs up it's up on, on the board and you either ignore it and you risk the threat Right. Or you deal with it all while the star master's doing its thing, the knights are doing its thing, the skinks are doing its thing. Yep. And it, it does make a, a tough conversation. And I think what I love, what I'm hearing from you is normally given that you're seven drops, if I saw this list on average, you'd go, you go first. You don't have the power to get in front of me. The average, like, right. yeah, you do some chip damage, but you don't have like range 24. You're not, you know, dropping from the sky, doing serious damage. But then you add in the 3D6 charge. Then yeah. you add in the run and charge. All of a sudden, you've got some tools to do some damage early on. Or even, if you go go second, you can you can make some serious... Yeah, you've got some great tools. And it's worth noting that every single one of my opponents had more than seven drops at the event. So I always got to choose. They always went first. I double-turned the Skaven guy twice, um, for sure. I didn't double-turn Tom. So I, I did double turn crucial twice and Sweeney, I did not double turn. I don't believe. So I was 50% on double turns and a lot of armies can't take a double turn um, at any point. And uh, it's, I think Skaven being one of those, especially if their alpha strike doesn't go well, which uh, if we, you can talk about those later, but Matthias's doubles, his alpha strikes did not go well for him. Um, which I think is one of the reasons I was able to uh, win those games, just because he wasn't able to uh, do what his list was obviously designed to do. Is there anything else you want to add to this list? Because I do want to show off a couple of your opponents and just get some sure. of your thinking around how you handle it and then kind of wrap it up with some extra questions. But is there anything else that you think is worth calling out? Um, um, I think we talked about the Star Master. Um, if you don't know what a Slon does, I mean, you can't be helped at this point. The model is absolutely insane. Um, you, it's an auto-include in every single Seraphon list forever. You deny board-wide, you're always plus one. Um, and the Comet's Call is just an, kind of insane spell. 
it's like five mortal wounds on average or something between being d3 or d6 and your pluses to cast that you very easily can get um yeah so i was uh, i was playing with it as an ally my stormcast ally i'm like this is because it's what because you can't ally seraphon into many other armies other than like right. seraphon it's, it's stormcast and I'm like this is good with the with the the spell the board wide denial the um the cp generation yeah um for 285 like get it on especially if i've got like arcane terrain i could just do absolute terror to my opponent yes yeah it's like i said i think in the beginning i think it's the best defensive caster in the game um I, because you don't have to you never have to expose it it never has to be in danger it sits in his little tower of power or he sits in terrain arcane terrain the whole game yeah. doing whatever he's going to do at any range never worrying about what the opponent's doing especially with the source guard sitting nearby you know it's very very difficult to remove um probably the most easily one of the most powerful things in this army and you just see went, just went up 20 points as well go ahead would you do you see a world where you would never take we like you would drop the star master no, no. I, I mean, I, I've played games without him. I, like I said, I played the, the open in New Orleans without him. And uh, I mean, for the exact same cost of the Troglodon at the time, now the Troglodon has gone down in points and this guy's gone up in points, but it's still, you can't play without a Slon. Just being, just all the versatility it adds and defensive capabilities to make sure that your opponent's not getting away with anything. And a lot of armies are just trying to get away with something via whatever whether it's Laocon with Thankwell or some other spell, some teleport, some whatever. A lot of people are building their armies around some spell, something they're trying to get off, especially in the Purple Sun meta. Everyone's just trying to be like, I'm going to Purple Sun you. And you're like, well, I'm plus two to dispel. So no, that's not going to happen today. Yeah, I played around with the Rune Lord for a plus two. I got, I went to like the uh, the Night Encantor to get a once per game auto auto unbind. But the 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 multiple unbinds and the casting of a star master along with the other abilities. Like it's always one of the first choices on the roster. I think it's, yeah. I don't want to call it an auto include, but I will. Uh, you better, you better, you better have a bloody good plan. If you're not taking the star master, it's just yeah. too, it's good for its points. Yeah. It's the, nothing is going to have the output that he does. Like I said, it's just kind of, kind of crazy. The uh, abilities that, that, that has the Scarvet. We talked about the star seer again 3d6 charge as well as the spell that lets you give rend to anything within 18 inches and this guy is always moving up the field because the 3d6 charge or is only 12 inches holy and it's in your charge phases when you pick it so he's kind of got to like keep up with the things so he's always up the field um the star priest gives you venom and poison attacks and everything else we've already talked about the chameleon skinks are there to score you battle tactics and do chip mortal wounds every once in a while they'll spike but the most point most part they're doing one to two mortal wounds and shooting plus whatever they get through in their uh honestly pretty reasonable threes and fours profile for one damage they're not battle line are they they're not no okay so they're not they're not counting as g because if they they're not counting for bonds of battle not bonds of battle but proving ground so correct yeah they, you can't the only thing that can take a proving ground is the Soros guard, and that comes up constantly. Um, but I, a lot of other lists, especially, are uh, in that same problem where proving grounds are just you just got to deal with the fact that you sometimes can't take an objective. Yeah, yeah. My, my, like I said, my gargans couldn't care less. Um, right. <laughs> so let, let's let's quickly go through some of your matchups, right? So this sure. was the this was the round you went up against um, Tom Guan first. Um, so Seraphon versus Deci uh, Daughters of Cain. Um, so here's the list. Um, 
what were some of the tools or um, is there anything that you'd want to talk about with this list and how you kind of um, pulled it apart or any, any highlights or any maybe learnings that you'd want to share with people? So the big thing about uh, Tom Guan's list is that everything in his list can run in charge um, in one way or another. Everything he has can run in charge. Um, the Heart of Fury is very good because it gives him the coalesced buff of minus one damage to everything within its aura, which is 12 inches. It's It can't move, so once you place it, it just stays there. So you drop it in the middle of the board somewhere and you try to keep the fights centralized wherever you're putting it. Um, so that's the big thing to notice with the Heart of Fury. But everything else can run in charge. And his list is basically my list exactly. But they're not as durable. And his support heroes are also very weak. So my support heroes are also low wounds, high saves. His support heroes are low wounds, high saves as well. And I can get to him. I have ranged attacks. I can drop. I dropped in the uh, Celestine Prime to try to snipe out heroes with the Comet's Call, with the... Uh, Chameleon Skink, so I was able to just kill a lot of his stuff. The uh, His general has the Zealous Order, which is a 4-plus rally. Um, so you just if you take out a lot of these commit these uh, support heroes, his list is... There's not much to it after that. All of these things are Galatian vets, so every single thing he has is taking bonus damage from my guys, and if they're not inside the Heart of Fury buff, they're just getting completely cleared off the table. I mean, they're getting cleared off the table without the the bounty hunters buff anyway because just the volume of attacks is more than they have wounds but they do have some cool things with like bladed bucklers they're doing wounds back to you um if they're in the heart of fury they're taking one less damage their save is one better while they're within 18 inches of the cauldron of blood maybe it's only yeah, 12 yeah. no it's 18 it's 18 until it starts taking damage the the damage really is coming from the blood sisters who um on as you mentioned the four up will get the rally uh, all of them yeah. get four up rally but right the, the the blood sisters as well have the um the crystal touch so at the end after they fought they yeah. can roll a dice for each model in the unit and they can do some mortal wounds so it can be yeah. some serious damage and then the witch elves are super fast lots of attacks the high high gladiatrix high gladiatrix the mrs yes. Whippy, um she can give extra rent so all of a sudden the witch elves could just do a industrial amount of damage um the big thing and, with her is that you can't you can't uh inspiring presence uh you can't stop the running away you can't uh within yeah, like but, nine inches it's not holy either just if she's touching within nine inches you can't uh stop the battle shock test which is huge and, and if she kills something that bubble turns to 15 inches i think it is so um yeah that's not really so, an issue because if she's close enough to kill something she's much much too close to die but i think your your list is perfect because again comets call and some of the mortal wounds you know i i run a, a list not like this but i do use that combination i think most daughters of cain players use zealous orator and crown of yeah. woe I put it on my Cauldron of Blood, which is a much more durable hero, much bigger bubble. Um, but you have the ability to pull down these five wound idiots because exactly. of the amount of mortal wounds. So it's a nice little target those heroes and then the power of this army just... Is that what happened? Like it collapsed? Uh, long story short is uh, that's kind of what happened is I was able to get enough things away from the bubble to kind of push them out. I made him go first. He didn't charge me at all. Um, didn't really even try. He just kind of moved everything into his bubble and down one of the, the two flanks um this was i think this was the l deployment so uh we we're close to the vest close to the chest maybe so we were 
pretty close to each other and he just moved to the two flank objectives just took those and uh just kind of chilled like that and everything that was outside of the bubble died just instantly the sisters of slaughter have a six inch pile in um there's just there's just a lot of tricks that this army has that if you i had the benefit of going in reading his list knowing exactly what it did what i needed to do and we talked about it after the game we both came to the same conclusion is that we're playing the same list he's a little bit faster he can get to combat more because all his things can run and charge but without the heart of fury to defend them and protect them it doesn't really matter that they can get to combat quicker because they're just going to die and his support heroes he has no way to get to my support heroes he can't kill the slan he can't kill the skink star priest of the star seer because he can't get to them and i can get to his guys so that's it's that's really all it was it's just I, he couldn't get to my support heroes well so i was able to get all the charges i wanted all the combat combats i wanted the uh Celestin prime fought a cauldron of blood as long as the cauldron of blood was allowed to fight it which wasn't nearly as long as it would have liked but uh yeah and there's no reason to hold it in there like you're either doing nine wounds max or 15 wounds max and there's not too many things in his list that even has nine wounds so uh you know you do nine wounds to a unit they're mostly dead pretty much across the board so there's no real reason to hold them in there just get your mortal wounds out as quickly as you can to kill off the uh, support heroes like i said this was a very straightforward matchup and i think tom going into it like he's we both we both play tested it i'm sure i know i play tested it a few times and he was we had exactly the same thoughts just i'm a little bit more durable than he is and uh he doesn't have the range to get to my stuff so just to summarize the match and maybe the learnings from this if you if somebody was to play a list like this um the goal really would be to pull down those support heroes especially the zerus zerus orator that's like number one pull down yes. zerus zealous orator remove the four up rally um if you can pull down those minor heroes and that is daughters of cain the they they really supercharge daughters of cain um if you can pull them down quickly you then have the tools in the ability especially the reducing damage by one you right. can handle their offense way more than they can handle yours um Heart of Fury is a bit hard because it's a prayer, so you it becomes yeah. very hard to get rid of it. Yeah, but, honestly, I was hoping that when he cast it, it would just roll a six on his combat when he wasn't fighting. I think it would just go away because yeah. I can't deal with it. Uh, so the Heart of Fury on on a one plus, it just does what it does, which is minus one to the damage that they take within 12. And on a six, they also get plus one to the, all of their attack profiles. But the heart disappears at the end of that phase. So, uh, and he's a lot of buffs to praying. So the hag queen is a plus one to praying and the avatar. Yeah, is Abbott, plus one to the Abbott, yeah, yeah. It gives them a lot of prayer boosts. So they'll be praying on twos. Twos across the board for all of their prayers. Yeah. And there's some really yeah. good prayers in there. And shutting down mind razor obviously is key because that gives minus one, it gives them plus one rend to their attack. So those witch elves with the, uh, the high gladder, gladiatrix will be like rend two right. on like, industrial amount like i think the two attacks each double blades is three attacks but otherwise yeah. two attacks um but that's the lesson here is 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 taking on the support heroes especially some of those critical ones and this list um becomes hard to to pilot yeah yeah it's a it, it's a lot of stacking auras and stacking buffs that if you can remove them it uh doesn't really survive in the humblest way the second yeah. so, so you've won that match against tom tom drops to the loser bracket and gets uh to fight emma mingles while you progress up to the winner's bracket and you play against matt sweeney and his stormcast eternals yes. so here's a stormcast eternals list you uh bastian you've got the lord castell castellan so 
can have plus one to save with the lantern. You've got like a Griff Charger. You've got some, uh, some Dracothian Guard Forminators. You've got Raptors. You've got a, a bunch of Liberator Idiots and the Aether Wings who uh, boost up the uh, the Vanguard Raptors with a plus one to hit it um, if you're within range of the, the Aether Wings. Right. So this uh, battle plan was... Uh in the presence of idols. So after deployment, pick three units that are on the battlefield to be your idols. If your idol kills one of their idols or vice versa, you get plus one point or they get plus one point for the turn. And that's not capped, but it only starts on turn two and after, I believe. Maybe it's not start turn two, but doesn't matter. Not really important. The big thing to note is that he put the Vanguard Raptors with long strike and deep strike so they couldn't be idols. So uh, that kind of uh, stuck for him a little bit. Obviously, my Celestin Prime also couldn't be an idol because yeah. happens to me all the time. Like, damn yeah. it! Like, it's the perfect idol. He By is, the way, just really I, sh is. I should call out. There's two holy commands. So this is a, a special Stormcast rule. Uh, the call for aid will allow him to bring back once per game with a command point one of those Liberator units. Uh, and then Steadfast marches. What is a reroll charge or something once per game? I can't remember what Steadfast does. Uh, that's run and charge. Run and charge. I remember there was some movement shenanigans on yeah. it. So, so this was, uh, again, a diagonal deployment. And we had the three objectives going the opposite ways across. And I made one of them a proving ground because I needed to have the Liberators come out of the sky. Um, that was the only reason I needed the liberators down because I needed to limit his options later in the game to contest objectives. I just needed to have all the things I needed to fight be fighting me. His drops was like 10, I believe. So I made him go first. I made the one thing a proving ground. And uh, I thought for sure he was going to give the Dracothian fulminators uh, run charge, move them up, whatever, and then charge me. He didn't do that. Um, I mean, it's a little bit unreliable because you can't give them run charge and also auto run because they're both in the same phase. Mm. But uh, he didn't do that regardless, then failed the charge with the fulminators. So they never got to do fulminator things. Yeah. I uh, He put them right on the line and I put my guys a just over a half inch back off the line to make the, uh, they move 10. So they need a nine inch charge without the uh, steadfast march. He just moved up the full 10, needed the nine, failed the charge failed to re-roll um so he had just full meters sitting in the middle of the board i mean that's a lot of chat a lot of guys in the middle of the board though that cut they're all six wounds so they all count for two eight models whatever and then he had a lot of a lot of gvs like all those liberators are gvs uh it might um, be worth calling out signs of the storm means that they can drop half their army from the sky coming from reserve yes. so yep. um it does make it an interesting challenge when you can put literally half of your army in reserve, drop them outside of nine inches, jumping on objectives, denying like a first turn attack. Um, right. You know, it, it can completely redeploy your whole army where if you go onto one objective, they can drop somewhere else. Um, and you, the, the difference with the Forminator, Forminators need to charge, right? Yes. On the charge, they do way more damage. Um, Three. Yeah, yeah. When when they when they don't charge, they do damage one. So failing that charge is so important. Well, yeah. Important to you. To it sucks for them. Yeah, I, I mean, I I tried to do everything I could to incentivize them into blowing the steadfast march. I mean, again, you don't want to ever be doing the nine inch charge, even with rerolls. You don't want to be doing that. So I I thought for sure he was going to use the steadfast march and uh, send them in at least a one inch closer, make an eight inch up to you know a, whatever a three inch charge or whatever it would be if they got the full six. So uh, 
that was I, I think that was kind of a mistake because he never used the steadfast march for the rest of the game. Um, There's nothing else that really needed it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there was some conversation about it later in the game, but I, I think they would have changed things up a little bit. Anyway, he got stuck in the middle of the board and uh, I was able to just outmaneuver him. I stuck a Carnosaur into the fight with the uh, Fulminators and because of how he had ended up redeploying and everything else, I was able to keep it so he could only fight me with one or two Fulminators the entire time we were in combat. Just just maneuvering them around because he was kind of stretched out in a line and with pile-ins and maneuvering around terrain and everything else, he just couldn't get to me and it just took him far too long to just deal with that one stupid model that was actually killing them. <laughs> I was like, all right, they're on a two plus. Is this eviscerating blade good enough this time? Because he was not failing one plus, or he was not rolling ones for a save to save his life. So like they were lanterned and they were mystic shielded. I couldn't break through to save my life. Nothing. So it's just like eviscerating blade or nothing. And uh, so I tied up them. The raptors shot off. They killed one of my support heroes because that's what happens. Like I think it was the Star Priest. It was the Star Priest, because otherwise I could have envenomed my attacks and then killed the Fulminators. So he knew what he was doing. He knew that my only way to damage his guys was with poison. So he killed that guy immediately. However, the Skinks, the Chameleon Skinks, killed them because Chameleon Skinks hate long strikes. They're they're all often in the open. They have a four plus save. It's not getting better in a lot of cases. So even just the wounding is half of your wounds are going to go through plus the poison shots. Like just great they just love killing those guys um so then there was just like a little bit of maneuvering around the liberators and call for aid because when the liberators die you can resummon them somewhere so i just to make sure when they died that all of the objectives were both zoned out because they were expert conquerors they don't come back as expert conquerors but they do come back as gvs still which can to be proven ground or something else which ended up mattering a few times um as proven grounds got shuffled and uh priority changed so this is honestly i really hate playing against stormcast with my list because they've got every tool to beat me um they can long strike shoot off my support heroes they're all on three plus saves across the board the only downside for them is that the liberators have the bad shield rule the old shield rule where they get plus one to save rolls and not three plus save whereas all mm. the new is when they have a shield their four plus save becomes a three plus save so that they have built in all out defense but against me that doesn't matter they can't also all out defense to get down to a two plus yeah which is really unfortunate for them um because again five knights kills five liberators to a man very easily on the charge especially when they're bounty hunters and they're galatian vets yep yeah, and you can see there that like you know almost fifty percent of that army is between the Dracothian Guard Forminators and the Long Strikes, and then one of the big changes that people might not be aware of is that there used to be a, a holy command for Stormcast that allowed them to shoot once per game in the hero phase, which was brutal right. for Long Strikes. But yeah. if you re but they they made a small change that uh, if you reinforce those Long Strikes, you can't use that that holy command. So. Yeah it does make long strikes a little less scary, just a little, but it means that you, but it's a lot of points still. Um, and they can snipe that. Um, if they go into the slant and maybe get the double turn, that's enough to probably, well, could kill it. Could. Yeah. Maybe I mean, it's very, very possible. The minus two rend is good. Uh, the big thing with the slant inside his pyramid is he's minus two to hit. So even with your aether wings plus one, you need aether wings plus all of attack to get just to break even. 
on hitting. So uh, they do hit on threes and then wound on twos, which is very, very good. So it's not like they need too much help, but you can penalize them a little bit for shooting at the salon. Um, it is 17 wounds, but if you double turn, but you'd need to be less than 10 drops if you want to be planning to double turn somebody with long strikes. And I think the big thing with the, the uh, shooting holy command is that it, it often priced people into taking the teleport hero, the prayer, two plus prayer to teleport. So you could keep them out of range of whatever was going to attack them, then send them forward into range to shoot. Um, now you just deep strike them. So uh, you're not going to use the holy command anyway. Um, no. So what's the lesson? So just before we move on to the, the next round, um, what's the lesson here? If, if I'm a Seraphon player going up against Stormcast in a list like this, um, what's what's the lesson on taking it down? It's a tough matchup. It really, it's a very, very tough matchup. I think Fulminators are, of your Dracothian guard, I think they're the ones you want to see the most because if you can keep them from charging or you can block them in combat, they're very they're very miserable. They just all of their attacks do one damage. They've got six attacks a model. I think it's five with the spear and then two with the guy. So it's seven attacks a model. Uh, is it or five is it on top? I think it's five five for the stormcast, and then it's three for the mount. Yeah, that, that sounds right. So they have eight attacks a model, um, and then some number of those are going to miss whatever. So you're not taking too much damage. Um, you just got to keep them from charging you because even at two damage on their stabby sticks is and then also once they get out of combat they can breathe on the targets you don't want them breathing on you know so uh you just gotta which you gotta lock them up which does mortal wounds for anyone who doesn't know so yeah breathing is more than just like bad breath they actually have they do they do mortal wounds on a four up or something but yes d3 um, on each model does that so correct. each model alive is uh basically ends up being one mortal wound on average or something per model just the way the math works out but it's still very very strong and you want to keep that from hitting the things you don't want it to hit you know yeah so like a redeploy for example against fulminators is definitely something you want to have up your sleeve because if you can fail that charge the output and it's why actually stormcast players are looking at concusses and some of the other options because fulminators right. are so reliant on the charge that yep. there are other outputs but should you fight against something like this um i think we've just heard a little bit about the long strikes the fulminators once you know bastion is a, a great piece but um, he's slow he can, he's, he's slow he's yeah. slow the, the big thing is he's slow um so i was able to very easily outmaneuver bastion he never got to fight anything he wanted and then by the time he got to fight something he had to fight the prime um the prime did end up dying but not to bastion i ended up retreating from not retreat, but i piled away from him to try to like keep an objective and i ended up dying to like lay low the tyrant or whatever from the liberators which was super embarrassing but uh that's just the way it goes sometimes and if you have the ability to pull out the lord castellan who basically just does a free mystic shield um yeah. no roll required that allows you if you like if you put that on the dracothian guard they're charging up the board on like a two-up save then they hit you like a truck they're just an absolute six wounds a piece they just hold they hold you up so um I think you're hearing just how you can handle something like this. And I guess, again, Bounty Hunters, a lot of um, GVs in Stormcast at the moment yeah. means you can really maximize your Bounty Hunters. Yeah, and that's the big thing is like a lot of their GVs don't have the uh, good save rules. So like they're all stuck on three pluses. They can't get to the two plus that a lot of the heroes can get to. So you very easily clear their GVs. So the, the question in this fight is, 
can you do the damage you need to do to the things that matter? Like the Raptors are pretty easy to kill. You've got a lot of mobility. You can get to them very easily, whether you just want to kill them with the Sloss and Prime, you want to shoot them with the Skinks, whatever you want to do. Um, any amount of shooting will just clear them off the board. The Fulminators, anything with a three plus save, anything with it, doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a Chariot, whether it's Fulminators, whether it's Concussors, uh, Annihilators, all of those things, they're going to be on a two plus save against you. And they're very, very difficult to remove for my, for my Seraphon list. Very difficult to remove. Yeah, because you, you, you've got a lot of chip mortal wounds, but you don't have a lot of rend, and that's where yeah. again the prime comes into play. Yes, exactly right. So you win that game. Matt Sweeney drops down to the loser bracket and plays Darren Watson's corn, um, while you progress into the semi-final and you play up against Skaven. So your Skaven opponent is here. So yeah, uh if anyone's interested, Matthias, I actually talked to him literally last week. Um, great discussion. And, you know, you're looking at this, and if I just summarize it, Bounty Hunter giant rats are a broken good. They're just very insane with the amount of damage that they can put out for 180 points. The Warp Lightning Cannons is something that I think people really need to think about because they haven't really been very popular in the tournament scene just yet, but they're starting to reap incredible rewards. And for anyone who doesn't know how Warp Lightning Cannons are, basically you roll a dice and that is your target dice number so let's power. say a roller yeah yeah power power level it's the number that you know you, you're trying to go for so yep. you then get to roll a bunch of dice it's usually six, six. dice. You can, you can supercharge it but you know like just six is the number if i roll a two on that initial dice every two up out of those six is going to be a mortal wound right if i roll a five or a six it means they're going to do a bunch of nothing but between the three warp lightning cannons, they can do incredible amounts of mortal wounds. And if I roll a one, by the way, that's just a flat six mortal wound. So yes. um, brutal. Thankwool can be like base base three, three plus to cast and unbind. Uh, Narholes, which is their terrain feature, will give them plus one. Arcane give them plus one. So it's easy to see Thankwool with like plus four, plus five. He can do incredible damage with um, the burninating um, shooting attack. Mm -hmm. The Vermin Lord Decida, great uh, melee kind of monster. And the the the, the Endless Spell, the Soul Seeker, will teleport Thankful. Talk to me. That, that's just like the summary from the video. You can go watch sure. it if you're interested in Skaven. But Dean, talk to me about this matchup. Because funnily enough, before you talk, you played not once. But twice you played this list twice because yeah. um, because of the way the brackets worked. Um, Matthias dropped to the loser bracket, beat Matt Sweetie in the final, so he got an invitation back to play you in the grand final. Right, exactly right. And he played uh, Sweeney on camera actually. So if you go back through the Warhammer TV on Twitch, you can go and check out that matchup. Um, a lot of things went very badly for Sweeney in that matchup, including Bastion went into combat, didn't kill a single giant rat, which was, I was sitting in the hotel room watching on Twitch because I wanted to know who I was playing next. And when I just saw that happen, I was just like, oh man, because Bastion, for those who don't know, if he does, any, if he kills any models at the end of that phase, so he kills in shooting, he kills in combat, whatever, he heals back to full at the end of that phase. He didn't kill any, didn't kill a single giant rat. Giant rats don't have saves. Yeah, like six at best, if not nothing. Like he just yeah. whiffed. It was a massive whiff. Yeah, and then so the giant rats did some number of wounds and he died. And it was just like, oh, God. 
and couldn't get a double turn to save his life. Just couldn't get anything going his way. Um, I think it was be a close matchup no matter what, but it was just really sad to just be like, oh man, just nothing. Nothing's going to come coming up for uh, Swinney in that. Um, so yeah, I got to play against uh, Crucial twice, and honestly, it was like he was just uh, just a just a, so pleasant and a pleasure to play against both times. Um, truly, like just someone who knew everything that their their army was doing had a pretty good grasp on what my guys were doing. We didn't have any conversations about that. We did have conversations about like timing for takebacks, like what takebacks, uh, what takes, how we handle takebacks and uh, that sort of deal in the event. And like the way I handled it, what I told him is like, once you roll a die, we're done. Like we're not going after, we're not going back behind a die roll. Like once that sort of, that sort of stuff changes, we're done. And he was cool with that. And that's just how I, I don't, I never ask for takebacks um so it doesn't affect me but i just try to like especially in the best general bracket like i i try to keep things as you know clean as they can possibly be and i don't want it to come down to be like feel bad for either person to be like hey do you mind if we go back to i forgot to do this role and whatever i just keep that out of every everybody's uh go ahead no, 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 no. I just wanted to reinforce that point folks if you're listening to this regardless if you're seraphon or not seraphon I've said this before and I'll say it again. The most important phase in the game is that first five minutes when you meet with your opponent, because we all play a different version of Warhammer. And it could be as simple as how does it, how does a dice, how do we determine dice if it doesn't land flat, like a terrain piece, for example, getting those etiquettes out of the way. So we all play the same game is so important. Yeah. So, um, and, and it, it avoids a lot of the issues that happen later on. Like if you don't have that conversation, that's when I find I have issues with an opponent sure. because they thought something was going to happen or in their club, they're allowed to do, um, they can take back moves as long as like, I didn't move a model or like, you know, get yeah. the etiquette out of the way. Yeah. And it, like for me, like as long as, especially if it's like not, at the highest level you can do whatever you want i don't care but once you're in a tournament like we need to have some sort of guidelines on how far we're going to go back on things what we're going to allow and for me it's like once we've moved on to something that can't be undone especially like dice rolls we're, that's just it let's not let's not be playing with things anymore after that but love it back onto this list um this is a list that i i looked at a lot because like a lot of the lists were pretty standard bog standard for whatever and this one was very interesting and we my group, we talked about it a lot. Uh, I didn't play any games against it because I wasn't sure I'd actually see it. But like a lot of the stuff was like really cool to read for the first time. You know, like the Vermin Lord Deceiver, what Devious Adversary does, what the Shadow Magnet Trinket is, and all this sort of like just stuff that this war, that the, that war scroll and plus all his abilities, man, that thing is frightening. A very frightening model. Um, but in the game, the only thing that actually impressed me was those stupid giant rats. That's it. <laughs> so in our first game, um, just the big things that actually mattered and the reason I won is he did not cast Laucon in either game and he did not cast uh, Dreaded Skitterleap in either game. Because of your magical supremacy? Because of whips? Because... Thankful on average should be plus four to cast. If he's oh, he was plus four next... both games. Correct. I mean, like you can get plus five. I've had pl I've had thankful yeah. on plus five, but on average, it's a plus four to cast. So yeah. it's pretty likely that I mean, flaming weapon on the vermin lord deceiver is against you is a lot harder. But you would imagine the soul seeker if what he wanted to cast, it'll happen. 
yeah so the what ended up happening is like his dice rolls were not bad um if that's a story anybody's telling his dice rolls weren't bad my dice rolls weren't amazing nothing like that um the big thing is he would cast mystic shield on a 14 and then cast laocon on a on like a seven and i think in one of the games he didn't actually cat like he failed to cast scatter leap in one of them i didn't have to dispel it or anything but I did dispel the other three things in the, the across the two games. Um, he just he rolled really well on like Mystic Shield, Levitate, Flaming Weapon. Rolled really really high numbers, and there's like all right, those happen. And then uh, he'd roll very very poorly for like the teleports. And as if you look at this list, it's very obvious what this list is doing, and it's Alpha striking you. Not only does he want to go first, he's built to go first, and he's playing like eleven drops, I think ten or eleven drops, just. Well, more yeah. than me. Yeah, there's no battle regiment here. It's it's just pure drops. Yeah, and the big thing is this list is a list that cannot survive a double turn, and it certainly won't survive a double turn if it doesn't get the alpha strike to go its way. And in game one, he sent the the uh, giant rats through the gnaw hole into a ten block of knights. Um, he picked up some number of them. They instantly died because my guys are bounty hunters against the galley vets, but he had death frenzy on the giant rats in that first game. So they all fought again. And when you have six or more giant rats, they're minus two rend. So like my guys went from, a, I had all at defense. They were on a five plus, I think um, with the uh, save. It's like they killed, he killed eight of them or something. I think we agreed on eight because there was like to some, a little bit confusion because on the death frenzy, like if the rend tears down and we didn't do that, he just rolled everything at a straight minus two rend because I think like, uh, cause you have to pull them like one. It's a weird interaction. In fact, I don't even know how it works because. Um, so daughters of Cain have this rule that when uh, the model die, when the a model dies, it fights on death or whatever. Right. So, um, or it does a mortal wound on dying or something. The, Are you the, talking the, the, the snakes? Yeah. So the, the snakes. snakes so right? yeah. So the snakes fight on death, and then after they they fight, they uh, they do the four plus. They do the mortal wound on a two plus or whatever. The, crystal, the crystal. That's the crystal right. touch. Yeah. So when you combine those two rules, so like they die. So you pull one model, they die. Some people play it as that model becomes its own unit, and then they roll the crystal touch after fighting. I don't believe it works that way. No, but I don't think it works people, that way. Some people I do think... play it that way. So that comes with the question with the giant rats. If you're going to play it that way, do they just not have rend on death frenzy, which doesn't make any sense to me because it's not, it doesn't separate out units, but this no. is a constant conversation. There's a lot of people with the blood sisters that, because the one blood sisters faction, uh, the Xantha Kai. Yeah. They fight on death. And then the people are like, well, then they, this one model crystalline touches like that doesn't make any sense to me, but uh, sure. Yeah. You know? No, I think I, I think that's wrong. I think just I know we've been streaming for like two and a half hours almost, yeah. but like I'm pretty sure that's wrong. Yeah, I but again, that's I've heard it, it in multiple different GTs, and I'm just like, you know what? I don't want to fight about it. But it's just it's wild, like how these same rules get played differently. Um, which wherever. which goes back which goes back to why you want to have that initial conversation, and if you don't agree, because the last thing you want to do is then the way that you play a certain rule, right? Actually, maybe very different to the decisions you may not have done X to do Y because you were setting up Z. So right. again, it's important. Um, yeah, and especially like especially if you have a question about that rule, make sure you talk with your TO 
about yeah they don't allow it on death so again yeah, that's like a question like it's a wild question that uh, a lot of people believe it works i'm 90 percent sure it doesn't happen on death but anyway anyway so we're talking we're talking now skaven so the giant rats i yeah they do a lot of rend they do some good damage especially bounty hunters the other combination here as well is the master molder on a three up can bring back the unit um once yes. per game so it means you can throw them into your opponent do serious damage for 180 points they die you come back you've now got a whole bunch of bodies again yeah, the, also the Master Molder um, just does it. At the beginning of the movement phase, he can whip them into a frenzy, and they only... Plus three. Plus three yeah, to they their... Plus three to their charge. They come out of the gnaw holes outside of nine, and then they only have six to make a charge. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what he did. And, like, that was the... They were very, very impressive. Um, that was the only thing that really mattered. Because, again, I took my turn. I killed all his stuff. I double turned him, killed everything. Um, there was... There was some like nightmare fuel scenarios for him. Like I, uh, I killed his his screen and I charged into his vermin lord deceiver, and he piled away from my knights into the celestin prime, and he hit me like all of the attacks, wounded me with all the attacks. Like seven wounds went through, and with the minus three rend, I think the deceiver has, and he roared me with thankful. So <laughs> I was on sixes, and I passed four of the seven with the Celestin Prime. I hate you. Yeah. yeah. Okay, can, can, um, can I tell you why I hate you? Because my last game against Skaven with my Prime, he died fully, full health, full health yep. Prime. He died to a 65-point weapons team. <laughs> a wee, I, like seven attacks. I, I, I whiffed seven four-up saves or three-up saves, right. which turned into double damage because of some ability. So it was 14 right. ward saves. I think I failed all of them but one. So right. Prime just died <laughs> like that. I'm like, 65, 70-point idiot buddy weapons team. Yeah, I mean, and we can talk about how that would have changed the game. I, I mean, the Prime did go on to kill Thankwell, but Thankwell already had like nine wounds on him because I'd been peppering him with wounds that whole double turn. And the Knights killed the Deceiver very easily. So like, even if the prime did die there the receiver still dead thankful still sitting on baltic and crap and uh yeah it's just what? oh no the warp lightning cannons targeted my uh, in the first game the warp lightning cannons targeted my scarvet and he rolled a he overcharged them got a one for power and did 12 12 mortal wounds <laughs> immediately to the scarvet I did prevent four of those with mystical terrain and then the next warp lightning cannon killed the crap out of him <laughs> Um, so that, that chat question, the warp lightning cannons just absolutely eviscerated the Scarvet in game one. And it was very, very sad for me. Um, so I lost like eight nights and the Scarvet on turn one in game one. But again, the Scarvet's not really part of my game plan. It's just not something I care about. Um, uh, in our second game, I was a little bit more prepared for the giant rat nonsense. And I did put the Scarvet a little bit back to make it more difficult for him to shoot. Um, he ended up shooting and killing my uh so he he set up this game with two gnaw holes in his deployment zone and then one gnaw hole to the side so that he could bring out two cannons and then they shoot into my line. This was the the tiny box deployment, so it's like the eleven by thirty deployment zone. Um so I not really a lot of places for me to hide. So he came out with two warp lightning cannons, he killed my star seer, I think. The three D so six charge guy. So, so in neither turn he was targeting the slime because I think I think you know Romulo is mentioning here. I think 
that would be my target number one. I don't know what um, Matthias was thinking, and you know, it's it's not up for us to say if it was right or wrong. But uh, well, even overcharge. If you overcharge every single warp lightning cannon, all of them are in range. It's like what an average of six mortal wounds each. That might not kill the slon. I mean, that's at odds even to not to just do enough damage because you need to get through seventeen wounds, right? With the ten wounds on the bodyguard and the slon himself. Yeah, but between the three warp lightning cannons, especially if you have, because you you know we talked, Matthias and I were talking, you get two solid rounds of warp lightning cannon. If you get any more than two turns, you 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 live in the dream. Yeah, and I know that's four hundred and fifty points going into a three hundred point model, but given how imperative important the um the slan is to your army and and to Seraphon and stopping me doing things and enabling you to do things. Well, the the big thing is. You can't get them overcharged um, and in range. So if I just put my tower of power out of 24, 27 inches, he can't even shoot me. And then he has to send them through the gnaw hole. If you send them through the gnaw hole, they're not going to have the engines, the uh, engine seer to over to more and more warp power them. Hmm. And w- at which point they just don't have the firepower at all to kill the slon. I mean, you're looking for, if you roll one power on all three of them, your odds even to not kill them. Um, yeah. so that's it's just tough because you're going to be out of range, um, Romulan. That's the big thing is like if your opponent's putting the slon in 27 inches, that's really their mistake, I guess. Um, there's not so a the deployment le- zone that requires you to do that, so I wouldn't, I guess. So, the lesson here is, um, just to call it out really quickly, the lesson sure. here is when you're deploying the slan in your temple, um, really making sure you're outside of range because. Yeah, you're going to get minuses to hit and all the garrisoning rules that would normally impact, let's say, other armies. Normal shooting, but, yeah, but not correct. Things. Correct. Because it's pure mortal wounds, they can yes. just shoot at you and have no, no real concern. No negatives, no nothing. Exactly right. Um, correct. But as long as, long as you're just not deploying your slot on the front line, it's very difficult to get more than one warp landing cannon that uh, if you don't go through the... Because uh, because each gnaw hole can only have one thing enter it. Correct. So like you can't even send in like the guy with them. So it's very difficult to get them to attack the uh, slon. Um, so he didn't. He just killed... He picked off my support heroes, the things he could guarantee. Because again, 17 wounds is... Especially with... You don't get the mystical save with your bodyguard because of the way the rules work now. So, uh, you know, you roll your two plus, they either go on the slot or they go on the bodyguard. But once the bodyguard are dead, then you get your mystical saves for whatever that matters. The the key to call out here as well is what you've done with the garrison, with the. Um, can you hear me still? Yeah. Uh, your audio cut out. Is it just me? Uh, can. I, yep, there you are. It might be just you. Yep, there know. it was. Okay, you're good now. Yep, be good. Yep. Whew, whew. Um, what, what I was what I was saying is um the, the lesson here is that um you pulled apart the castle, right? Because the warlock engineer um is gonna be boosting up those warp lightning cannons, but for him to get in range, he needs to break that up and use the narhole. So Correct. you've used that to your advantage to break up a castle and force a tough decision. If I keep them in castle then um, they're, they're going to miss at least one, maybe two turns of shooting. If I break it up, yeah, but you're not going to get all your synergies and your buffs. So right, good, exactly. good lesson there, folks. Yeah, and uh, the big thing in game two is uh, he didn't send the giant rats at me. So that was my favorite day ever. I didn't have to deal with giant rats again. 
Um, instead, I got Warp Lightning Cannon to bunch, which was it killed like the Star Seer, like I said. Um, and then he just kind of moved everything forward. And I decided to take Desecrate Their Land on the only piece of terrain that was in his little box. He had just moved everything just far enough that I could drop one unit of Chameleon Skanks perfectly within three inches of this piece of terrain to take it, um, which I was like, great, perfect. This is like perfect for me. And then when I was moving all my guys forward, I moved one of my units with it like 8.9 inches away from like the back thing. And as soon as I dropped it, he measured the thing and I was like, oh man, this is my nightmare. And he rolled like a four or something and they covered my objective. I lost my battle tactic. I couldn't take, it was a single, uh, there's only one, it was the exploding realm stone. So there's only one objective. I realm stone cache. Yep. Yep. Um, so he only had that one ob- object. The only one that one objective. I didn't take my battle tactic. I couldn't take the objective. I got zero points. I, I knew I was getting zero points once he dropped back because he has expert conquerors or whatever. So it's like a ton of models on this objective. I was never going to take it. So I just I said, screw it. I'm playing for the double turn. I pushed everything up in the double turn. I got the double turn and just tabled him pretty much. Um, there was nothing. He had thankful on full wounds and a couple warp lightning cannons at like half wounds or something. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that obviously I didn't play perfectly. I made a huge dumb blunder on, uh, giving him the ability to redeploy and deny me a battle tactic. I mean, the dice, the dice do what dice do. What, what happens if you didn't win priority there? So, cause I'm, I'm always an advocate of not blaming the priority role. I think too many people blame their losses on the priority role and, and they, you know, they, they claim that they won because they won the priority. Sure. What happens if you didn't win? Is it a, is it a tighter game? Do you think that oh, it's a, it's absolutely a much tighter game. You? What happens? Um, so on that first turn, I uh, charged with my Carnosaur into like his screen just outside of three inches from the, the Vermin Lord with the ability to pile back into the Vermin Lord after killing his screen with the Knights. So uh, I hit the Vermin Lord um, for free, put some number of wounds on it, like six. Um, I bit him. I got four bites through to the wound phase with minus one rend. He passed all of those on a four plus. I was miserable about it. Um, and then he skitter scurried away. Um, so he just ran from combat. Ah, uh, yeah. So that so. So for anyone who doesn't know, um, your heroes can, if they're in combat, they can choose instead of fighting to run away. So right. um, if you're trying to, like for example, the Master Molder, who, if you want to kill that hero, you need to target it early. Otherwise, Correct. you you may lose that chance. Exactly right. So uh, he just ran away um, with him. So we had six wounds on that guy uh obviously heroic recovery on him full health thankful and two warp lightning cannons no he had all three i didn't kill the, the warp lightning cannon until uh my second until my double turn so he would have had a pretty good uh damage output he could have brought the last warp lightning cannon and the engine seer through the portal more more warp power all of them um and that would have been able to target my whole army really at that point um so it would have, have been tough. I mean, his battle line Galatian vets, they don't matter. They they die to a stiff breeze. Um, any of my uh, guys will kill them, no problem. The six health Vermin Lord, it depends. If he gets Flaming Weapon off, he's a little bit dangerous. If he doesn't get Flaming Weapon off, he does one damage, and I just stop caring as quickly as it happens, especially once he's got wounds on him. Like, whatever, let him do whatever he wants to do. Um, it really just becomes, is thankful of, of damaging, and do the Warp Lightning Cannons go off on me, you know? 
because thankful with even with yeah. two and 20 dice on four pluses with his braziers can do a significant amount of damage to some knights and uh yeah so it'd have been a much closer game i don't know if he wins it i think it's a pretty bad matchup for him because again like outside of thankful there's not a lot of damage in this list once you start taking the cannons down and the clan rats and the giant rats and everything else like there's just a, they don't really fight into my army super well so i don't know it would have been would have been, been tough it would have been a it's hard to say i think he would have had a obviously the game would have been much better for him but uh i don't know i i honestly after i made that boneheaded play and i i just was like all right double turn here or we can just go to the next game because i had a loss to give and i just didn't care too much about it so it's probably worth saying as well yeah so it's a double elimination it's a, it's a double elimination so um you had yeah. so you did see that actually played on the other bracket bracket where um the the winner who was you know nick scooter walters um had won all these games but in the grand final had lost his first game to phil um and which meant there was a replay uh, which he ended up dropping again. So that it's, it was a double elimination. So you could, in theory, have lost that first game to um, Matthias in the final, and you would have played again. But that that wasn't um, something yeah. to worry about. Just really quickly before I ask you a couple of final questions and wrap this up, what's the lesson here? If I'm against Skaven as a Seraphon player, based on your couple of games, is there anything that you want to share that... I should consider because Skaven is becoming more popular and it is actually doing quite well competitively. Yeah. So I would say uh, very simply just it's right now, all of the lists that are currently being played are all alpha strike lists, just straight up. They're going to try to get to you and kill whatever they can as quick as they can kill it. And a lot of their stuff like Laocon lets tank will do literally whatever he wants um the vermin lord deceiver with the six inch uh deep strike dreaded skitter leap the giant rats with six inch charges coming through the gnaw hole and the warp lightning cannons being able to shoot as far as they shoot and uh, i think it's 30 inches with the uh engine seer who can double the movement with his artifact i think he had or it's a general trait i don't know something let him uh, double the movement of the uh warp lightning cannons so it's very much an alpha strike list. You just have to minimize your exposure as much as you can. Um, just try not to get the COVID from the rats and uh, get your chart, your targets after that, which it's not really, uh, especially if you out under drop them, you can set up and screen in a way to minimize your exposure. You're going to get hit by the rats. You're, if you don't have good counter magic, you're probably going to get thankwilled or even skitter leaped. Thank was on a plus four. I mean, it's very unlikely that you're not going to get the boat down your throat. I got extraordinarily lucky not to get Thankwold both of my games. I don't know how much that changes anything because if Thankwold's in my face on turn one, Thankwold's going to die on turn one. So it's just how much damage he does before dying. He's not super durable or anything like that. He's not super fighty. He does have the uh, the the Overwatch that he can do, and he also does get to double command abilities, kind of like a cabbage does. So that actually comes up like if you charge into him yeah. and a cannon or something, he can overwatch you with the warp lightning cannon and himself. So there's a lot of like really cool tricks that they can do with uh, with Thankful. Um, it's a very cool model, very very powerful model, honestly, very powerful model. So I'd say just avoid your most, exposure. Most most people. Okay, yeah. There's uh, like a little bit of a delay on you now for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, I th yeah, I, th I think there's some yeah some delays kicked in. So yeah, that's the big thing is just try to minimize your exposure. They're gonna, you're very likely to be dropping before them. 
they want that. They want to go first. They're very much looking to hit you as fast as they can, do as much damage as they can, and hope that they take enough pieces off your board so that you can't retaliate. Um, if you're playing a list similar to mine, that's not really going to be the case for them because you've got all of your stuff hits and clears everything that it touches. Nothing's going to survive a 10 block of knights. Um, unbuffed buff doesn't matter. None of his units do it. And you've got just enough shooting and the Celestin Prime or some other model that you can pick your fights much better than he can. It's just a matter of surviving that first turn, which I was very fortunate to be able to do. Yeah, yeah. And I think that Thankwell as well, um, that you're, usually you see it's got four shooting attacks. There's multiple versions of the Thankwell model. So yeah. The last question I've got for you, Dean, and, I'll, and and we'll wrap this up. Um, it's been a great discussion, and um, I think we've all learned a lot, especially in a non-traditional Seraphon build. It's very likely there is a new battle tome coming. I think we could sure. almost like, if I was a betting man, I would say yes. There's a there's a new tome coming. What units, rules, changes are you hoping to see in the new battle tome? Um, for me, for example, I would love to see more synergy and more reason to bring Croxagore. I feel like you and I, being fantasy battles people, used to see a lot of synergy between Skinks and, and Croxagores. Yep. There is no role for Croxagores right now, and I'd love to see them in the game. What do you What do you want to see? I mean, the big thing is when they made this second codex is they uh, they kind of treated it like a I, I treat it like a chaos decks at this point where you've got two different factions you've got your starborn and you've got your coalesced and they uh, I think they really dropped the ball on that where they they didn't incent either didn't incentivize enough into one build or another or because they were just like all right well there's this dichotomy just take whatever units make the most sense but as tournament players or competitive players, we're going to take the thing that's the most efficient in either of those lists. So either if you're going to have this dichotomy, you need to force it a little bit more. And I don't like the kind of like, well, these guys get bravery 10 and these guys can't have their bravery modified. I mean, that very much that decision alone changes what units you can take. Like you can't take salamanders and coalesced as a result of this one single rule because salamanders have bravery five or something. You kill the three skinks that they're hanging out with and that thing runs away every time. Whereas in Starborn it doesn't. So like it, they they in, they did this weird chaos thing where they incentivize different models to be in different factions, but I don't think they did it in a very good way. It left Croxagores out in the out in the middle of nowhere because the coalesce faction is all about beasts and saurus and not about skinks and there's no real reason to take croxagores you certainly can't take them in the the serif the starborn side because they don't get the extra draw attacks there's no they're not getting scaly skin there's no incentive to take them whatsoever so they're like they're like one of the units i'm talking about that got caught in the middle what i'd really like what i'd really hate for them mm. to do is to just destroy all the support heroes because like that's really what this whole there's like a lot of synergy within the different support heroes. It's an old model range. Like they turned uh, uh, the different heroes and they gave them just not names like uh, Krokgar became the Sora Sunblood or whatever. I'd like to see them move some of the uh, abilities off of Skinks and onto Saurus. Like there's no reason that the 3D6 charge is on a Skink on a hover round. Like this little 
wimpy dude is the reason I get a 3d6 charge. I can't explain that to anybody. It doesn't make any sense other than skinks get a stick that does a magical thing, whether it's poison or it's a three plus to run charge or whatever. And so it's just strange that that's not on a Saurus. And I'd really like to see the Saurus actually do something, have rend, like having rend, like the Celestite weapons. That's like Celestite's like, it goes through everything, like a hot knife through butter and it's got no rend. I'm like, all right, well, it doesn't go through anything. It doesn't, it doesn't go through like <laughs> butter at all, much less like a hot knife. So that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see like some of the lore line up to like what the things are like. I mean, Saurus warriors are bad because they don't have range. They're slow. Their armor save is good. Don't get me wrong. Like a four plus save is Age of Sigmar good. It's not 40k good, but it's Age of Sigmar good. Um, and there is like the Saurus old blood on foot as a three plus save. So, you know, like there is the possibility of these guys getting a better save. Um, but they just, they're so generic. There's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of thought put into them. I'd like to see the Saurus heroes do something. I'd like to see the uh, the pterodons and the Ripperdactyl chiefs actually have some versatility rather than being like, we increase the percentage points of Ripperdactyls by like a little bit. They'd bite a little bit harder or whatever. Um, just make them battle line, just something. I'd like to see a lot of the synergy changes that they've been doing in all the other books, that some things become battle line as a result. Um, and if they're going to do this dichotomy again with a summoning build and a hardened coalesce build, which I like, I do like it. They need to be much more focused on what models are good in which spots. And, uh, I don't, you know, but it's, it's a tough, it's tough because they're not really like that. Um, there's like you, your spawning pools spawn skinks and sores. They should be one army, but how do you make that work inside of this? They're not space dust imagined dreamed up lizards anymore which they pigeonholed themselves into at the beginning of age of sigmar or whatever the law masters are probably going to shoot me down on this one but i wonder if the answer is within skaven because if you look at how skaven works with pestilence and molder and it's one army but yes. the more heroes and the more units you have in one the the stronger the abilities go so i wonder sure. if Again, that spawning pool is actually something scaveny. No, that'd be really cool. Just, you know, Saurus get these abilities. Like this is this Saurus is just to get minus one damage. Croxagors get minus one damage. You don't need to give it to every monster in the world, but give it to the Saurus, give it to the Croxagors. That's just something they get. They have that that thing. Skinks, whatever, do whatever skink things, you know. Uh, yeah. The, that's what I'd like to see is I'd like to just needs to be a little more modernized. A lot of the overlapping buffs that made the book a complete terror in second edition. And I did play just a bit in second edition and the book was a terror. It was just a complete mess of, if I roll a six, you take two mortal wounds. It becomes exploding six. Uh, your mother disowns you and you lost your birthday. And I was like, Oh, okay, well that's, that's bad. I'll never forget uh, being at a Masters tournament commentating, and um, I remember seeing a Carnosaur do 72 damage back yeah. in first edition or second edition where he could stack CP. It was just like yeah. 72 damage. And I'll, remember, I'll never forget as well, the Engine of the Gods used to, on I think on an 18, 
used to allow you to have an extra turn. Yeah. So somebody <laughs> was at the bottom of the turn, generated an extra turn, and then one priority roll. So they got three turns in a row. I'll never forget those two busted rules. But right. I, I think I think what you've said is, you know, you, you want to see more lore tied into the book, and I, I would love to see that. The last question then, and just because you're on a roll, is if you got to add a unit to the book that doesn't exist already, um, what would you add? I don't even know um because i i think that the i'd rather not i'd rather not honestly i'd rather just what they have i'd rather see the things that already have sculpts get maybe news updated sculpts and i'd rather them focus their efforts on updating cold ones to not look like the way they do and just getting the rules right for these things rather than trying to add something new and sell me the new hotness you know i don't want to buy a new model because it's the new great whatever it's the new primaris marine or thunderstrike armor stormcast or whatever it's it's not a liberator it's a vindictor and it's got a spear that's just better it's like, oh, okay fine whatever you got me you're no fun dean uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll play along with my own game then sure i want carnosaurs without without a mount give me oh. feral dinosaurs without no mounts and to total I would war be, style would yeah. love that army i would love a thunder li yeah all right <laughs> that, that's what i was hoping for but yes i think we all agree that seraphon deserves updated sculpts and new sculpts and i love the warcry expansion give right. me more salabanders and um the razadons give me updated saurus warriors give me updated heroes give me up the, the rangers is is craving an update yeah it's just a lot of old stuff you like you look at the drake spawn knights from the the dark elves or whatever and they're just like these sleek elegant cold ones they look great and then you're just like well i got this boxy guy that looks like it was made in minecraft and uh here we go i'm gonna send 25 derpy. You. He's so it's so derpy <laughs> yeah it's so derpy dean if people want to chat to you are you on the facebook seraphon group are you on twitter like where, where can people talk to you if they want to like uh show off their amazingness that is seraphon or you're on the um, east coast of america so they might see you around yeah i am going to lvo um i just bought a ticket for that just like yesterday i think actually because i uh i i finally worked out a housing situation because the housing or the, the hotels are so expensive um for the three or four nights you've got to be there um so i'm going to that but otherwise i am on twitter it's uh iceman i-c-e-m-y-n you can find me on twitter if you're looking for me there I only see your notification if you DM me or tag me because I'm not really on Twitter. And as, as long as uh, Twitter is continuing to exist into the future, which is in the air at this point, you know, um, or just find me on Facebook, whatever you want to do. And uh, yeah, happy to answer any questions. Anybody wants to reach out. Well, I hope to see you at LVO. I can't wait. Uh, I'll be bringing those gargons, so hopefully we can test that theory of who's stronger right now. I hope yeah. so. hopefully it's <laughs> or we can just, you know, set up a game, and I'll, I'll happily play after hours. Like, there's nothing else going on, you know. We can throw down. Amazing. Dean, Dean, you're incredible. Thank you for your time. Congratulations again on being champion of the world, and um, you've now got a priority target on your head. Um Let's see what happens in the new General's Handbook and how it impacts Seraphon. Let's see what happens in the new Battle Tome. 
Um, I think it's some great insights and discussions and hopefully some new ideas on testing some units that maybe haven't really seen the, the, the field of day. And yes, just to reconfirm, Dean ran the war spear, not the blade on the carnosaur. <laughs> yes. I'm not, I'm not an actual crazy person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Dean. Thanks everyone who joined the stream. Thank you to my guest. Thank you for everyone who watches it on the replay. You know what the deal is. Put in the comment section what you like and how you're building your Seraphon. And if there's any ideas that maybe we didn't discuss. Um, and you know the deal, Patreon, all that good stuff. Dean, we're out. Thanks for thanks, thanks everybody. Thanks for hanging around until the end. I hope you enjoyed that video and you walked away with a few new ideas. If you did, I would love it if you pressed like on the video as well as left me a comment to let me know what your thoughts are. The conversation will continue over on Discord and the link is down below in the video description. I want to give a massive shout out as well to the AOS Coach Patreons and YouTube members who are going in and the funds are supporting the channel and the growth that you're seeing here. So cheers, you're all bloody legends. And until next time, don't roll a one on a redeploy.